We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. From the Clark Ford Studio in Oxford, Mississippi, MBW Digital proudly presents the Oxford Exxon Podcast. I'd say thanks for tuning in, but why am I going to give you a round of applause for something you're supposed to do, to be frank? And now, here are your hosts, Chase Parm. And broadcast school has really paid off. And Neil McCready. I deserve to be on TV. Welcome in to this edition of the MPW Digital Post Game Show, presented by Dead Soxy. More on them in a minute. I'm Chase Parm, and welcome in to the final show of the season. A good one for the Rebels as they knock off Penn State 38-25 in the Chick-fil-A Peach Bowl. Really uh, routed the Nittany Lions, followed a little bit of uh, early filling out period, and then Penn State scores late. Once Ole Miss went into a bit of a prevent defense, but a really pretty perfect day for the Rebels. We're going to talk about it here with you over the probably the next couple hours or so. We're going to watch some Orange Bowl. I've got Georgia and Florida State on right now in front of me as well. We're going to talk to Jeffrey Wright in a minute. He's going to join us. We're going to talk to Brian Rippey, who uh, was at the game today from a spectator standpoint. He also uh, has a little bit of a unique perspective from uh, his current whereabouts, and then obviously Neil McCready as well as we put the cap on the 2023 season and really the story of the day going into 2024. You know, the historic things that have happened, the 11th win, first time in school history they pick up 11 wins, uh, second time in three years that they've had uh, 10 wins in the regular season, and then the the catapulting that goes into next season. Now Ole Miss definitely going to be a top-10 team. They are expected to hit on all the retention. They've done so, so such a good time on the uh, the transfer portal situation as well. So a lot of things going well for Ole Miss, a lot of things going right for Ole Miss now in that. So, again, we're going to talk about all those things here coming up with you in uh, this one as we uh, get going. Yeah, Ole Miss, seeing the comments there, still need a little work in the offensive line. They've got portal time for that as well. But before we get any further, Last year, this year, all the thanks to Dead Soxy. They are the uh, title sponsor of the show. They are here with us for uh, this again. Here is the uh, the bowl game, the win over the Peach Bowl. So uh, message for them real quick. The message from Dead Soxy. Elevate your game day look with socks that financially support the Rebels. Every step, step you take shapes the future of Ole Miss Athletics. Need more evidence of the impact? Look no further than the recent early signing period in Portal Class. Sign up for a sock subscription Get the exclusive ju- exclusive Juice Kiffin socks for free. De- visit DeadSoxy.com. Choose subscription for re- subscription to receive the latest in Ole Miss styles every month or in an interval that best suits you. Take the next step. Upgrade your socks. Keep the train rolling and elevate Ole Miss. As always, stay Soxy. So take advantage of that. You can see there on the screen. You can sign up for a subscription, and you can uh, get going there. No, I, you know, Tupelo asking them if I'm feeling okay. 
I'm much better. Uh, I've been pretty sick. Uh, today was the first day where I felt human. Had this been yesterday, I would have been really worried about my voice. I would have been concerned about what it uh, what it was going to sound like, if it was going to hold up. I thought we might have one of those kind of Jordan flu game situations I was going to have to power through, but we're okay. We're, uh, we're getting it done. We're going to make it through this one as we uh, discuss Ole Miss's win over Penn State. So, again, Jeffrey will be here in a minute. We'll wait on Neil. It's a bowl game, so I'm not exactly sure what that postgame situation is going to be like. They've changed up some things from uh, some previous years as far as what is uh, what the situation is as far as the bowl and how that uh, that works. Uh, Super Chat, thanks from uh, – who is it here? I saw it a second ago. There we go. Jeff uh, Jay Robertson says, Happy New Year to Neil Chase and the whole MPW staff. Thanks for a great year of coverage. Tyler Finch, odds of being number five preseason. Money's on fifth or sixth, seventh the floor. Thanks, you guys, as always, for uh, all the uh, the super chats that you provide for. Uh, Jeffrey Wright, can you hear me? How are you? Uh, I indeed can hear you. Uh, man, I just uh... – I'm just really struggling with what's happening in Nashville. Um, you know, I just hate to see that. <laughs> what is the score? I, have, I, I am watching Georgia, Florida State. I've missed the uh, beginning of that. Oh, uh, one TV? Oh, uh, that's sad. Um, eh, well, it's yeah. 31-7 after a pick six. Oh, it's that bad. Oh, no, they're, they're, they could get beat by 40. Oh, okay. I mean, it's just a shame... It's just an absolute shame that he had to spend so much time recruiting that he couldn't coach his football team. Either way, because there's really not anyone – there's no side that he can take credit for. They're both playing pretty poorly. And so it's just – it's a shame. Did you leave Ole Miss on TV1 at least the entire time? Oh, yeah. I had okay. I had, I had Ole Miss money line pretty heavy. So you felt pretty good about that for the most part all week. I, I guess why, and then as it played out, did it go in line to what you thought? Uh, did you did you watch Drew Ayler? I, I, I did. When he tried, you know, he's not a runner, and he was actually better running the football than throwing it. Correct. Like it, I mean, the, the best thing that Penn State did for Ole Miss early was decide they needed to establish a passing game. I have no idea. Why, like, when they were just running it down the field – when they just absolutely ran it down the field and then they started passing inside the 10, I was like, well, thank you. Uh, I mean, I honestly was, I found myself very impressed with Florida or with Penn state's roster in general, like the entirety of the roster, except he's horrible. Like he's truly horrible. Like he's so bad that I got to imagine Penn state has to, they were considering probably, I, I presume they were, thinking they're going to bring him back. I think Penn State's got to search the portal and, and look for something else because he's that bad. They cannot win with him. Ooh. You, well, because he, that's the thing is, like, how, how does he win? He is a, he's a pocket passer. Like, he cannot throw. Like, that's the problem. Like, at least with a guy like, you know, maybe like a guy like Dart, who at times last year did not look good, he still gave you enough – in the running game and like kind of moxie and, and spunk. What does that guy give you? He, he, they had three big games this year, Michigan, Ohio state and Ole Miss. And he was horrible in all three. So did he look today? Like he has looked all season. Is that simply 
what he is at this uh, point? Against, against anyone that – so when Penn State plays teams that they're just – like you see like that roster, there's studs. Like up front – and think they even had – their starting left tackle, who's going to be probably the number one, the number one offensive lineman taken. Uh, they had their two corners opt out. Like they're missing some really good players, and they still, it, it just every single time he he looks like he has no feel for the position. He is not wildly accurate. He he also does the move that I think a lot of really bad quarterbacks do, even when he's accurate. He doesn't throw a ball you can catch. Like, it's always late, and there's guys coming in. I mean, he almost got four or five. He almost got – oh, my God, no. 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 Not not my Tigers. Don't do that to my Tigers. No. You're going to no, force another, me to flip to Auburn instead. A 31 game instead of the Army. An, another turnover. No. Dang it. It's a bowl game. They're meaningless. Oh, that's what he's uh, – listen, I'm setting – we need to set alerts for when he goes live, press conference, because that's going to be – he's going to talk about, you know, how hard it is to – to. there's too much going on. He's going to make every excuse in the book, and we're going to have to hear it. He is uh, – oh, boy, he is really setting himself up that they better not have a couple of bad losses early next year because that's not exactly a fan base that will stick with you through thick and thin. No, no, no. He's used up every bit of honeymoon that is uh, that is possible in that. Uh, tons to talk about on offense. So I'm going to hold off on that a minute. From a defensive standpoint, because we're missing Drew Aller, we're, we're already talking about that anyway. They gash Ole Miss on that opening drive. Ole Miss limits us to a field goal. They go up 3 nothing. Oh, was that, oh, was that oh, a matter? Oh. Yeah, yeah, Penn yeah. State. Penn State limits itself to a field it goal. Did. Let's, yeah, let's yeah, be clear on that. They decided to put the ball in the air. Correct. And, and then Correct. things happened. Beyond that, Ole Miss did get some interior push. They did a lot of things. Was that is that adjustments or is that settling into the game? Um, I think at first what they were trying to do is I think I think Ole Miss knew because we talked about it like early in the week. Like they knew they had to stop the run. What I think happened was they thought they had to stop the run with like run blitzes. And the problem with their run blitzes was they were still getting blocked. And so they were they were leaving, you know, essentially uh, you know, the running backs were getting like the first time there were a couple of runs where the first guy that tackled him was the safety. Like the first mm-hmm. guy that touched him was the safety. And so what I think you saw almost doing is they started to play it more straight up and they were willing to, they were willing to sit there and concede four or five yards in the event that they would not get gashed. Like they were getting gashed. And then inconceivably Penn state. I mean, how many times did they end up, he threw it 39 times, and I know they were behind, but like in the first half, let's see. I want to look. In the first half, they threw it 15 times, and that, by my count, was 15 too many. Yeah, because you know Penn State, you mentioned it. They're really good up front on both sides of the ball. They're they're talented in the in the second in the in the, uh, the back half on defense. Like their defense is legitimately good. That's clearly the second third best talented defense Ole Miss has played this season. However, you want to phrase it. Clearly, sure. yes. There, there's no doubt about that. And I thought overall, because I'm, I'm kind of scatterbrained, because I've got ten different thoughts. I, I I thought overall that's what made today relevant and important for Ole Miss. We you know is the game in general that big of a deal? That's debatable, but. 
they were on a big stage against really a national program for the first time. Because you look at their other access bowls they played, Baylor, Oklahoma State, Tech, you know, not not teams, where, TCU, where it's like, oh, wow, they're playing the Penn State, the Ohio State, the Michigan. And going into 24, why is it doing that? Going into 24 where uh, they're going to have all these expectations and all these things, they played a team that outside of the passing game is nationally competitive, national title talented. Does that make sense? Like yeah, absolutely. They, they, no, they probably no, need and, some and, stuff and, on the outside, the quarterback, sure. But run game, defense, offensive line, they got a complete table set in a neutral environment and on a big stage in a game that had some national pressure for whatever you want to make of that up, that sure. really is a catapult to set them up on, hey, that's the standard you've got to be to if you're hitting these expectations next season. No, it, it felt like a uh, program game. Like, because yeah. we've talked about, like, oftentimes bowl games get either too much or too little. Something like, oftentimes it's like, well, whenever you get beat, well, we didn't care. Mm-hmm. And when you win it, it's like, uh, you know, Man, that that's a huge thing. But this did feel like a milestone game for for Ole Miss. Like you get you get to the eleventh win, um, you show up against your probably the third best roster you've seen all year. I guess I'd, I'd listen to an argument for LSU, but I thought that was a more complete roster than LSU with the with one glaring exception. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I mean, you know, like to me, the 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 thing that was key about today for Ole Miss was I felt like they knew they knew it was going to be difficult. Like I thought after that first three and out, and you avoid, you know, they they rule the inter they re- rule the interception incomplete. Like I was kind of thinking, I was like, oh man, they didn't block anybody on three straight plays. Like. I was starting to think like, oh boy, this could be this could be a long, long day, and they just kind of kept settling in. And then there was that period in the second quarter, through about you know the through about whatever ten, eleven minutes left in the fourth quarter, where it's like they felt like they did something on every drive. Like it felt like they got a field goal, they got a touchdown. Like mm-hmm. it felt like they were doing like they were they were. Let's see. So yeah, you had. Yeah. So if you take out the one punt, the the five play punt with two forty five, uh, they went one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. So they scored on seven of nine possessions, like at kind of in in that. And to me, like that was the key. It's yeah, they weren't they weren't maximizing every possession and whatnot, but they were they were making stuff happen on every possession. And Penn State just felt entirely – if they did not get, like, a shot, like a, a shot play or some type of massive explosive, like, it just felt like if Ole Miss could make them have to play an entire series, Ole Miss would be fine. And for the most part, I mean, that's what we saw. What During the competitive minutes, 17 points, they get the – whatever, they kind of get the garbage touchdown at the end. But, you know, that, that was kind of – to me – Penn State played about like I thought they would. The difference to me was Ole Miss played even better. And that coincides Ole Miss offensively right there as you're talking about where I don't think they had a traditional run play until the third drive or something. They threw it on every player. They ran RPOs where they end up putting the ball in the air. And you thought, 
not getting them involved. They're trying to throw to set up the run, and that even felt disjointed too. And you're going, hey, it's not really working. And then they get Harris on a couple slants and get a little momentum. And look, Penn State was without a corner, and they abused well, them Penn on the State, outside. I think they couldn't. Penn State blitzed, I think, on every play in the first like the first yeah. quarter. It felt like, and. I guess in saying that, from that point on, though, where they were able to start hitting slants, really take advantage of the one-on-one stuff, you know, Neil tweeted about it. It was a complete clinic from a play-calling standpoint with Weiss or Kiffin or however you want to mix that together. It was, considering the opponent and the disadvantage that they had on the line of scrimmage, that's the best called game that I've seen from Lane and and Weiss this season and maybe in their their oldest time together. Yeah, I mean, it's always difficult – to determine how much of like Ole Miss's offense is actual play calling versus reads. Yeah. Like, I actually think I would make the, like, I, I get what y'all are saying and I, I don't, I don't disagree, but I think this was one of the few games all year where it was very straightforward because Penn state knew with the young corners that they were playing, they were not super thrilled at the fact that they knew they were going to leave them one-on-one. And so they just started blitzing the hell out of them. And so yeah. then it really it really became simple for Jackson. It's where's Trey because Trey was probably going to have, and we saw. It. I mean, Trey had one on ones almost the whole day. Uh, I mean, it felt a lot like uh, th- was it a And M game that Trey had a big day. Uh, yeah, I think that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it felt a lot like that where you know, hey man, that's a defense that's going to man up and and blitz a ton and try to and try to beat you with you know essentially just not letting you throw it because they're blitzing you and getting sacks and pressures, which is, I mean, I think what they were the first or second in the country, I think in sacks and pressures all year. So like that's the strength of their defense, but it kind of made it easy for, for Ole Miss because it's like, all right, that's who I'm, that's where I'm going with the football. And based on the leverage of the DB, it's either back shoulder. It was, you know, like it was, it's kind of predetermined is, is what I'm saying. Lane, Lane, Weiss, whatever. Lane's offenses simplify things in a way that makes them smart by not buying to be too smart because you had that exact juxtaposition in this game. As we were saying, Franklin could run the football. He could do things, and it's, by God, nope, we got to throw it. we got to establish the passing game. We've got to let our basically take take Penn State out of the game. And then on the other side, Ole Miss just found matchups and went, you can't stop it. You're going to leave them one-on-one, or you're going to let this – we're just going to keep feeding it, feeding it, feeding it. Go, 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 go. He, he doesn't out-coach himself to go, nope, we got to get away from that and create this. You just keep blowing that up. And you look at it, Priest Corn was a mismatch. They also schemed Priest Corn open really well today. And then Harris was the crazy mismatch. I mean, those two guys alone go for 17 catches and 270 yards. No, and I think, you know, whether or not this is true, you know, Penn State's bringing in a new offensive coordinator, but he wasn't calling the game. And so, you know, is this an offensive coordinator that thinks he's auditioning for other jobs? Like, hey, our offensive coordinator couldn't get anything out of Drew Ayler, but watch this. Like, I'll get something out of it. And so you end up just, you know, Lane Kiffin's not worried about trying to get another job right now. He's like, hey, we got to score points. And I don't know. It's just they're they're so disjointed on offense, Penn State being they, that, you know, once – once I saw Ole Miss get into the 30s, I thought the only way Ole Miss would lose was if Ole Miss like made a a catastrophic mistake, like the type of fumble, like you just give them a touchdown. Once they got up two scores, it just felt like all right, Ole Miss 
Like maybe you know, I'm sure there were people that want to see Ole Miss push it at the end and try and run it up. But like, hey, they made Penn State take all their timeouts, and you know, essentially at that point, it's like, all right, well, every time we get the ball, we're taking three minutes off the clock, and you saw the result. Yeah, and you know, Dart. He again, he gets banged up early, first drive of the game. It's the ankle. They retape it up five, six times, something like that. Michael, thanks for super chat. Uh, just really appreciate the coverage and journalism this year. Thank you. Uh, he just keeps finding ways to win. He made a lot of big throws down the field. It might have been one of his better games on hitting his hitting his spots on passes fifteen and more down the field today. Especially being banged up on that leg because uh, that does affect you when you're trying to, to to plant and throw and all that kind of stuff. I mean, I don't know. We're we're a broken record with him. Uh, he ends up finishing the year with only five interceptions, I guess, at this point. Um, he's good enough to win a championship. Penn yeah, State. I mean, it was he was said in the stream. Penn State's in the playoff if they have Jackson Dart. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's Penn State probably beats. I mean, the reality is, if they have Jackson Dart, they probably beat both Ohio State and and Michigan. Yeah. Now they don't have much of a weapon on the outside, but no, I mean that's. But I mean, I don't. I it, yeah, like yes, they do not have like a hey, let's just throw it up to this guy type player. But I mean, he's he's bad. He like he's. It is very obvious that. And I mean, what he's from Columbus too, right? Like. I think it's just the obvious. It's like when you got a quarterback in Ohio State didn't really take him, like, eh, he's a pretty good indicator. When you're at that level and it's and, and you're trying to beat them, like, you know what I mean? Like, yes. it's, hey. Correct. Correct. It's, it's not even as simple as. Uh, anything past what we're saying, what you think of Dart today? I mean, it's just kind of like it's, it's his brand, right? Just being gutty and, you know. He doesn't make every throw. He doesn't make every play. But, man, there's a lot. How many games did they play where you wanted to trade him? Maybe the maybe the LSU game? Maybe. <laughs> they scored in the 50s. Yeah, but that's what I'm saying. Like, you know, uh, he, you know, uh, he, even, the, even the losses, like, I thought he out... It's just so tough. Like with Mil- determining what Milro does is just—it's not real football for me. So I don't know. But Dart Dart just continues to—he's a winner. Like it seems like his legacy is like just—it's never—it's never the prettiest. It's never the most effective. Like it's kind of like—I mean this with all due respect—he is what people wanted Bo Wallace to be. Oh. Yeah, like the gritty, the the like the the leader and all that. Jackson actually is that. Well, he's a in a lot of ways, he's a better version that has Ole Miss on a higher plane. You know what I mean? And Ole Miss probably maximized what Bo made them capable of playing quarterback, and he was a stabilizing thing, and he was there. I don't know. Ole Miss just won eleven games, and I don't think they have a first round pick. Bo, Bo played with a lot of first rounders. Well, that's true. He he he, he uh, did get know. to throw to Dante and Laquan. Yeah, and Laramie was blocking. Like, yeah. you know, 
I, I just I don't know. I, I think I think again, Dart is not a perfect quarterback. He's you know probably not an NFL guy, but like he is the ultimate example of like you can win a lot of games with him in college football. He did nothing this year to make me think that just because of his ability to stay in games, to compete, and all that kind of stuff, that, yeah, he can go win on a big stage. Like, that's the thing. Like, some guys, you know, even when you do it, you kind of go, ah, I don't know. But watch him, and he frankly just keeps getting better. I mean, I, I think he's actually improved throughout the year on a lot of those different things. I mean, you know, because today, I understand what you're saying, but you look at the final stat sheet, and, I mean, it's pretty damn good. Oh, no, today, but, like, for 379 and 3. No, 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 that's what I'm saying. But also, when I look at how Penn State played them, you bet, like, if the way Penn State played Ole Miss defensively, if you win the game, you better have a big day. Because, like, that's just going to be, look at me, look how many times, like, I guarantee you that had to be the most, the most times he saw one-on-one with Trey Harris in probably two months. Like, those Would are, they have been better that, off just backing up and dropping guys? Well, I probably. Like now, the problem is that I I personally would have done that because I would have said I'm going to make Ole Miss patiently move the football down the field and try to run it on me, and then when I get into the red zone, I'm going to beef up and make them have to make tougher throws. Now, Ole Miss scored in the red zone. Like I, you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. To me, to me, Penn State maybe had the better roster, but I think kind of the way you define the year is Ole Miss had the better team, and that's kind of how you would define this season, I think. It's like maybe Ole Miss wasn't the most talented uh, roster they've ever had, but it was talented enough, and they won a bunch of really tough games. A bunch of one-score games and then games like today where, you know, I mean, you see like the difference between – the difference between Ole Miss and Penn State today was Ole Miss had two sides. Like, if they needed to get a stop, they were able to get a stop on defense. When they needed to go score, they were able to go score. Penn State could do kind of one of those things, which was they got enough stops, I felt like, early in the game, before the game started getting away from them. They got enough stops, but they just could not do enough offensively. Like, the touchdown the touchdown in the first half was, let's be completely tr- like honest, like, that was bullshit luck. It was, yeah. Like, yeah, sure. like, now that happens. Like, and this is also though a credit to Ole Miss and to Kiffin. Like, you know, the guy that's down thirty-one to seven in Nashville. You know, those those moments crippled him. Mm-hmm. This Ole Miss team didn't let bad like bad luck, bad things. Like, it didn't, it didn't end them. It's the story of their team and really kind of where their program has gone. And it's what's so amazing about the portal period is that they put together this season, they won 11 games because, frankly, they have a more cohesive chemistry on the roster and a more cohesive coaching staff, which was allowed them to win a lot of one-possession games, you said, and then they were able to extend and take advantage of the weaknesses that Penn State had today. And it's, it's probably why, going back to our conversation we had on Thursday, I think I'm – Pretty and, and I don't think I'm being crazy as far as recency bias off the bowl game. I think I'm pretty comfortable at setting Ole Miss's over under at nine and a half next season because 
I look at it, and they're going to be more talented. They did this on a year where they were not the most talented team in a lot of games. They weren't more talented than LSU top to bottom or Texas A&M top to bottom. Didn't have the better quarterback in the LSU game. If if they can replicate any type of that portal chemistry, I think it's just where they stand with this program because Lane appears to be seems to be pretty locked in, and, and Golding has been a very steady and cohesive force on that defensive side from a coaching standpoint. No, and where I give Lane credit also with Golding, like oftentimes offensive-minded head coaches, like it, it seems like they gave Pete a lot of the NIL budget to go out and get guys because you got to also remember the players that the players they went after defensively. Like you're talking about some of the most expensive guys on the market, so you know there's an acknowledgement, and I felt like. I felt like a lot of the emphasis on the the improving of the roster was the places that I think they have holes. Like, they needed more offensive line depth. It looks like they got more offensive line depth. Uh, they needed they needed a, a legitimate game breaker at the on the defensive front. Like, I tip my cap to the young men. They did a great job all year, but like, they need somebody. They need they need a Walter Nolan, and they did all that and. You know, I mean, it's – I don't, like, you, you sit there and you think about it, It's like, I don't know, what are preseason expectations next year? Like, I don't know. I mean, it seems to me – have they ever been top ten to start – the best they've been was what? The Houston Nut year, what were they, four? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They were four. I mean, I mean, what? This is going to be preseason probably top seven at the worst, right? At I mean, the it's worst. so hard. I mean, to... you know, because somebody asked that earlier, but the problem is, do you have what do you have from a exposure standpoint to for the media to put you ahead of Ohio State, Michigan, Georgia, Alabama, or Texas? That's the problem I mean, the from only... cracking the top five. And like the only thing, you know, okay, well, is Harbaugh still at Michigan? Sure. I mean, I get it. Uh, you know, I mean, that's that's like those the things like. But it seems like to me, floor wise, right? They're going to start the season seventh. Yes, that's correct. No, the expectation next season is playoff. There's no, there's no but. That's now, it. it's also important to note, like that's really hard. Like when, like one part of part <coughs> of the greatness, part of the greatness of Saban is literally they are held to a standard that no other program is held to. And very rarely do they just flat out lay an egg. Yeah. And that just doesn't I mean look at what was USC preseason this year. I mean Hi. they yeah, they yeah. lost Return five the games. Heisman Trophy I mean, winner, the whole deal. Yeah. And and yeah, I, I Well LSU. In, they went at, I mean LSU went a very nondescript nine and three and everybody had them as the cute pick. Correct. Uh, so I actually you know, think that's a very good similarity for Ole Miss going into next season overall, not rosters. No, no, I know what you're saying. Because the like, type of LSU buzz that goes into you know this year to win. Hey, yeah, Alabama, Georgia, that's cute. What about Ole Miss? I think that's where yeah. they're going into the offseason as. They are the team that if you get if you get bored with picking Alabama, they're the team that you're going to pick in the West. Well, I guess they're whatever. I, you know what I mean? Like. And, and I know they just played, and they were beating Penn State, and that's a name team and all that stuff, but I do think they're kind of going to be that trendy, interesting media team that they've just sort of prop up all offseason. 
And maybe justifiably. Well, I don't even mean that as a criticism, but I just think that's Well, no, funny. I mean, that's that's the advantage of having Kiffin. Yeah. I mean, it's not Dion, but it's it's big. Yeah. Scott, thanks Super Chat. Such a, such and a Ole Miss has, top eight. I agree. As we, talked, as we talked about the schedule, like, Ole Miss has the schedule to get off to, like, the super fast start. And, like, you're going to be part of it. Like, you know, you like what, their first – their first tough game is what week six. I mean, they have Kentucky at home week five. If you want to count that, they're at Carolina week six, and they go to Baton Rouge. Boring and upset. So me, they're six and zero oh going to Baton Rouge. There you go. And then you see what happens. Yeah. I mean, that's you know here's what's here, here's what's interesting too is somebody made the point in the thing, and look, I'm guilty of this too. I mean, if you said, hey, what's what's Ole Miss's record? I was predicting 8-4 and four this year, and I think I said I wouldn't be shocked to see 7-5 and five before 9-3. and three. I'll eat it and own it. Um, it was a bit yeah, of a... I, I, it, I, think, I, I, think I, was, I think I was the same way. I think, I think I said 8-4, and four, but I thought 7-5 and five was way more likely than 10 wins. It felt, though, to me, like it was a year where you were trying to just be competitive and set up for next year. And they go and win eleven games. I guess it's that they win all. They they won all the coin flips, and I think it's the conversation we're having without not having. Even though we've talked in circles about this for weeks, is just did you? It, it doesn't seem like they necessarily just had that special won all the coin flips uh, outside of maybe there's actually a method to it when you do it for this long over and over and over again like they do. Because in this portal period, teams are going to collapse culturally inside their roster. So if you can avoid that, you're going to win games just because of the lack of cohesion that goes on inside the league. And I think it's Lane's next challenge is that next year he has a lot of much higher profile portal guys. He's got to keep all those dudes happy. They've got to manage a different set of rosters in a different way next season. And whether he can or can't will actually tell whether they max out these things that we're talking about because there's no doubt they're going to be more talented. Now, look, they need more offensive linemen. That'll be a focus the rest of the portal season. I think that'll probably start here pretty quick once uh, this thing opens back up in a few days. But that's the next step is now handling these high-priced free agents with egos and opportunities and those kind of things. Well, then on top of that, it's like, you know, it's the handling adversity with those guys. You know what I mean? Like, when things don't go that way, and, and does it tear your locker room up? I mean, that's what we normally see. Like, it's not necessarily just like not getting the proper amount of production from those guys. It's what does it do to your locker room when those guys aren't producing and everybody knows? I mean, we're now in an era where everybody knows who the highest paid guy is. There's no secrets anymore. There's no like, you know, plausible deniability. Um, you know what does that do to what does that do to your locker room and do you does it tear you up from the inside like I, I think like, I think kind of like what we're talking about is most of these teams that end up disappointing they largely disappoint because they they implode rather than explode. Does it help that they have so many returners back who can kind of establish that and set it or is it still all about? picking the right portal guys that are capable of buying in. Because, frankly, whatever leadership you have or don't have doesn't matter if you don't have guys who are willing to come, you know, to, to, to whatever. Um, and then also... I mean, I, honestly, I think a lot of it is praying. You, you know what I mean? Like, it's... yeah. You hope you, hope you got the, the good one. You hope you got 
the talented one that cares. But like, if this were a science, the NFL would have a much higher draft success rate than it does. You know what I mean? I think it also helps Ole Miss that they're 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 really barring a Kentucky weird game. Their first really losable game is in week seven because it allows well, momentum to get built. Where you're not having that early game where you go, ah, hell, now I got to keep these guys together. You kind of, you kind of wheel the championship mentality, if you will, into it when you get on a roll and actually have a bunch of wins to start the year. No, I definitely think that's a huge part of it. Like, and I, I mean, I think as as long as Kiffin is going to have to be, the roster is some blending of our guys, like guys are guys are retaining, guys are ringing the portal. Like, I think you're going to basically see this exhibition non-conference schedule as long as they can get away with it. You know? It's the benefit to the four non-cons in a row. Yes. Like, I know people don't and, like it, but when you have two buys built in, it's not the worst thing in the world. I know people don't like it, but it's like, hey, man, did anybody think today sucked? <laughs> how, many, how many people, how many rebs out, show of hands, how many rebs out there today had a bad day? Seemed like Seemed like seemed like my group chats and and everyone that I know everyone seemed to seem to think today was worth it and I don't, I don't sense that there was a lot of hand wringing from how bad the non conference was you know how how un, uninteresting the non con was. It's fair. I mean that's 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 the trade off you know. I don't think uh, now, I don't, the, th- now the other jeopardy yeah. you have is when you do it like that I mean you do also have. What happened last year, where you get off to the hot? What were they six and zero to start, or something like that? Yeah, sure. Seven, they get uh, off to the, yeah seven and zero, eight and one. And then you know you limp home, and everybody goes, "Well, you were the most fraudulent seven and zero, or whatever." Like, yeah, that's hey man, that's the way the sport works. Like, it's a talking about sports, so you do set yourself up for that. But What's I mean, it just really boils. It really boils down to like you know, a. a they had some injuries, like I'm not, but it felt like for a large portion of the important games, they had a lot of guys healthy. It felt like the the only game you could really make the argument they were in bad shape was the Alabama games. They were, and they were, I mean, and they were in an impossible shape in that game. Like, as, as good as they were down the stretch with injuries, their, their injuries and where they were made that game almost impossible. Because you yep. didn't have the ability to win some one-on-ones and do some things on the outside for the big plays and that kind of stuff. You were never going to grind it out against them on offense and defense. No, and, and you had no continuity. The guys that you were trying to play, like, they hadn't even practiced. Like, yeah. Yeah, I, I can't – I have not gone over there, Sammy. I can't imagine what uh, brain drain is looking like right now with Auburn's situation going on in their uh, the bowl game. Uh, they're just ignoring it, right? I mean, it seemed like he put together a good enough class. But, you know, I don't know. That, him, whining, him whining about, oh, boy, he put in the freshman. There you go. He's turning to the future. Well, see, that's, I mean, yeah. I, 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 I know you're reveling, but, like, I actually don't blame that one, right? I mean, what are we doing? Well, but isn't he bringing Thorne back? Either way, what are we doing right now? By the way, I have Florida State team total under six first half. 
check it out the stream I, uh, a, a little bit. Your brother's um, mad at me. Look at your phone. Look at your uh, phone. Your brother came up. Your brother came up, and he's mad that I didn't share a bet as sweaty as a team total of under six in a bowl game. And I, I specifically said I took Georgia minus 14 in the first half, and I took tech, or, uh, Florida State team total under six. Reading the stream a little bit, uh, Ryan and Montez, good to see you guys. Ryan, I, 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 know, I know you left us now. I'd love to get you on the show at some point, though. I'd love to connect and, uh, and talk a little running with you some point if you're uh, up for that appreciate seeing in there uh no jeffrey will admit when he loses a bet uh he's oh, yes. oh yeah i'm almost kind of revels in it like letting you let you know that they didn't go I've well had, that day i've had some of the most historic like there's nothing i love more than when like they'll flash a first time that such and such happened like i had the david shaw the first time he ever blew a 28 point lead i had that bet on the other side like i i've had some uh, there was a Clemson, Florida State under where I got beat on the last play of the game. Like it's no, I. Uh, and also, I have to put in my Twitter profile. I have to put my picks. Oh, you do. I link it yeah, in my yeah. Twitter. Like what? Hey, Pete. Good point here. Appreciate you being in the stream with us too. Uh, I, I don't know if you were at the game today. I assume you were. He said, "You say uh, you also need to be forged under fire. Otherwise, you can't be surprised if you let down later." In your opinion, do you think at Wake, at Carolina, Kentucky at home, does that does that build that? I mean, are those those type of games that will that will do that for you going into next season? Just kind of curious. Because I mean, it's at least an ACC road trip. I are mean, Wake's you, are not, you talking not, to me or Pete? I mean, if you'd like to respond, go ahead. I'm just referencing Pete. Yeah, no, 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 because no, I, I I just didn't know if you're uh, you're. I mean, it's the Gonzaga question. Yeah. Gonzaga has to, you know. Gonzaga has to build this non-conference basketball schedule early, and now I, I'm seeing it with like Memphis has to do the same too because the league's so bad that when you get into the tournament, like you haven't really been tested for what three months, four months. Carly, what is she upset by? Uh, literally, probably the wind blew. Okay. I mean, there is a legitimate question on that, but like, I think you, I think you'd rather have that be the issue than, hey man, we 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 took two, we took two losses early, and it just fell apart. And and look, ten and two is the number. If you go ten and two when you start out the year at numbers at seven and eight in the country, you're in the playoff. And you put yourself in a spot where if you're having one of those weird years, you get in at 9-3, depending on the situation. Yeah, I was going to say, I mean, I think you – I mean, obviously it matters what does everybody else do, but, like, I mean, I think you still probably got a decent chance at 9-3. and three. I mean, it was a really a strange year because nobody got upset. That typically doesn't happen unless we're seeing some sort of difference in this new era that's causing it. I, and I, I don't have an I, answer for that. That's what I'm curious about because I think it was like something like the top 15 when the top 15 played either unranked or teams below behind them they were like an astronomical like a like 120 and 2 it was something like that it was it was now that's the question is like is that what we're seeing or was this year an outlier but my my suspicion is that's where this is headed you think the better teams are just going to win? Are just going to win more games and 
It is and I think, and what I think it's going to be, they're going to win more games, but because of the lack of continuity, they may not win. Like it may not be like the the Alabama, you know, the Alabama with Tua, where it's just like you, whatever the number was, you just laid it first half game, like, and you just kept rolling. Or Burrow, you know, Burrow's LSU teams, like, but like what we saw, what we saw is a lot of teams this year that were at the top got scared it felt like a lot more but they rarely lost unless they played it's like they didn't lose unless they played each other and if that happens you're more likely to have it take 10 and 2 well if you think about this like the the pac 12 the top two teams one team goes undefeated the other team only lost to that team twice uh in the big 12 you know you got Texas with the weird OU game, but like they didn't lose after that. Georgia in the SEC, Georgia only lost to Alabama. Like, you know, Florida State didn't lose, and I, I think that's probably what you're going to see more, which is, you know, they're probably only going to lose to each other. Yeah, I don't. I don't think today was meaningless for Ole Miss. I think it was worth several spots on the polls in the preseason, which might matter, and I think it just set a stage that they needed as a program, kind of wrapping up and going back to the beginning for this real quick. I'm going to see a couple comments in the stream. I mean, look, if they had lost today, it's not like they're not going to have a chance at the playoff or something crazy happened. But when you're discussing these margins and maybe the situation that Jeffrey's talking about right here, going 10-2 and versus 9-3 and and your odds of getting to the playoff, your odds are better at 9-3 and if you started the year six in the country than if you started 16. It's just true. It's mechanics. Yeah, it, 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 well, it's like it's like we can have an argument about whether or not that's appropriate or right, but that's not that's not that's not addressing the right the upsets in the right world. You could lose to LSU, Oklahoma, and Georgia and make the playoff. Correct. And lose every game that you're equal or better or you know or worse than. Yeah, it's just true. I mean, they're, they got at a certain point they got to put twelve teams in. There starts to be a weird benefit of the doubt that you win or lose oh. with these dumb games. It's kind of like right oh. now for you know, for Penn State. Look, they had opt outs. This isn't going to whatever, but there'll be somebody out there that goes, "Yeah, but you know, Penn State can't win the big game." You know what I mean? Like, hey, they're no, no, it's, no it's we're, we're, we're going to knock no, them down two or three spots. No, it's like okay, like their Penn State reputation is like as long as they are better than you, uh, they win. But when they go up against an equal opponent or someone, you know. Equal or they're slightly less than they lose every time. Uh, any final thoughts? I'll let you get back to watching on the day. Um, I mean, I, I think it. I think it's obviously the the greatest season since integration. Um. Oh no! Oh no! Uh, Florida State's inside the red zone. We need Georgia to care. Uh. It's the best season since uh, the integration of the sport. That's true. Uh, That's not debatable, by the way. No. I mean, and it's, you know, like, I don't really care, but it's like this team deserves to be ranked higher than, than the 10-3 and 3 Sugar Bowl team um, when, the, when the poll's in. But, like, you know, some of that's relative. Um, but, I mean, it's, to me, like, this is unquestionably, this was the, this was the best season since the integration of the sport. Yeah, completely agree with that. 
Uh, still sticking with it. You got uh, you got Michigan and Texas, right? I got Michigan and Texas. Okay. I will say this. Forget the the scores. The thing that really stood out to me watching Missouri last night and watching Ole Miss today, the Big Ten teams looked more athletic and looked more like 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 when you watch like they're like oh you would think that was the SEC team, but the key difference was. Missouri's quarterback was better. Yes. And he wasn't great, and then Ole Miss's quarterback was infinitely better today. Yeah, the, the SEC teams had the better quarterback play, and in, out of the players that were actually playing in the game, had the better one-on-one matchups on the outside. Yeah, a hundred percent agree. Those were too true. Jeffrey, appreciate it, bud. Enjoy the day. All right, guys, be good. Was Jeffrey Wright, Brian Rippey going to join me in just a uh, in just a second as well? While I'm uh, waiting on him to do that, I'm just going to leave the screen up. He'll just stick with me half size right now. Um, some people asking, this 2024 schedule for Ole Miss while I'm waiting on Brian. Let me go ahead and tell him he can call in, by the way. Um, appreciate everybody in the stream. Good activity in the chat. I appreciate that. Um... Yeah, I mean, Ole Miss's schedule, for anybody who doesn't have it in front of them or haven't run through this as we're talking about this, I, I think nine and a half is where Vegas is going to go. And look, maybe it's ten, but I, my, my guess is nine and a half. Furman, Middle Tennessee, at Wake. So first road game at Wake Forest, September 14th. Georgia Southern, that completes the non-con. They're all four at the beginning of the year. And then Kentucky at home, at South Carolina, at LSU, then they get a bye week, first of two bye weeks. Bye week, Oklahoma at home, at Arkansas. Traditionally, a very tricky game that would be. It would be sandwiched in between Oklahoma and Georgia. It would be on the road. Ole Miss has not played well in Fayetteville. It would be all those kind of things right there. And then another bye week. I'm sorry, then, Ar- then Georgia, another bye week at Florida, and then much to uh, Lane's chagrin that at Florida is five days, at least for, as of right now, prior to Mississippi State in the uh, in the Egg Bowl. So you're talking about, I mean, three games are the, on paper, Ole Miss has three coin flips. And they have games that are, they're going to be projected to win and potentially not coin flips beyond that. I mean, when you look at it from that standpoint, that's why I'm saying this with the over-unders. You're talking about three games really in question, barring a, ga- a game that Lane loses that he's not supposed to, and he d- hasn't traditionally done that for the most part. And then you're talking about two of those at home, where Ole Miss is, what, 20-2 and two out of the last whatever? Something like that? Brian, how are you? Can you hear me? I can hear you. Can you hear me? I can. We're good. Your uh, your uh, your Wi-Fi is probably a little fuzzy because your camera is not in view, so I'm just going to hold you out of the screen for now. But as long as you can hear me, we're good. Yeah, you were breaking up pretty uh, pretty pretty badly there. Am I good now? Uh, that was better. Yeah, we'll see. Okay. Okay. Uh, you were in, uh, you were in Mercedes-Benz Stadium today. I guess, tell me a little bit about the crowd, the environment. Just kind of take me through that side of things today. I thought Ole Miss had 
probably a couple more sections filled than Penn State did. But it was, I mean, as much as we talk about these bowl games being meaningless exhibitions, there's still something to these New Year's Six games. I know they're going to lose meaning and whatever's going to happen in the next version of college football in the 12-team playoff. But, I mean, it was it was a fun environment. It felt like a, a, an important football game that mattered. And I thought Ole Miss showed up pretty well, and Penn State did too. It was, it was just kind of a fun football game all around, and I guess it couldn't have gone better for the Rebels. What'd you just pop open there? High noon, complimentary oh. of uh, the uh, Michael Portner Sports Group. <laughs> Do you want to say any more about that at the moment or no? Yeah, sure. So I'm sitting at the Ritz Carlton. Not sure I was how I was allowed, but hey, 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 listen, hey, I'm going to make an executive decision here. Can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you. Okay, I'm going to uh, hang up, and I'm going to call you on your phone if you're good with that. It's breaking up, and that way we can just bypass this if you're cool with that. Yep, that works. Okay, hang up, and I'll, I'll call you right here. I'm going to make an executive decision there, Brian, uh, breaking up a little bit, so we're going to make this easy on both of us. Give me a second, and I will get him dialed in on uh, that. So we're just on the fly trying to make it easier on me make it easier on you guys as well because I know you guys probably were not hearing him very well either so uh, it's all good we can we can we can make the call we can get him on the uh, the air so give me a give me a second and we'll get that done take a break in the podcast tell you about GNM pharmacy that's in Oxford or Tyson drugs in Holly Springs they got their high dose flu shots for any patient especially patients over 65 most clinics typically give standard dose to all patients. So they highly recommend 65 and older come get a high-dose flu shot from them. They also have the RSV vaccine. That's an extra level of protection for those who need that. You can get those vaccines by appointment, which makes getting in and out super easy. Just give them a call to schedule. That's 662-236-2222 for GNM in Oxford. Or again, 662-252-2321 in Holly Springs. Podcast also brought to you by the Ole Miss Athletics Foundation. It's getting close to the end of 2023, so if you need to make year-end donations for tax purposes, the foundation will walk you through their philanthropic giving initiatives, whether it's the Vol Society or Empower. Both initiatives give you a tax-acceptable way to support the Champions Now campaign, or if you're working on estate planning, call the foundation to discuss Forever Ole Miss. For information, that's 662-915-7159 or give to athletics.com. also want to tell you that Prime Shrimp is giving away free shrimp for an entire year. Entire year, free shrimp to one lucky rebel. Here's how to enter. Go to primeshrimp.com slash MPW. You place an order, any order, do anything you want. Use promo code JUICE. That's J-U-I-C-E. Take 20% off your order and be entered to win. You can place additional entries by posting your shrimp on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter with quote with the hashtag primeshrimp and hashtag MPW. So winners will be chosen on January 31st. Get your orders in now. Again, Free shrimp for a year, primeshrimp.com slash MPW, and then also shopstyleassembly.com. You can still use that code RG15 through the end of the year. Remember, if you uh, maybe didn't get the Christmas gift you wanted for the uh, four percenters out there, or if the uh, lady in your life needs a little extra something, shopstyleassembly.com. You can go online, take care of it. You get free shipping over a uh, certain price point as well, and that's code RG15. For your own 15 for your online order. So again, shopstyleassembly.com, code RG15. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match 
with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Getting engaged is a moment worth cherishing. A one-of-a-kind ring that you design at Blue Nile can help your love sparkle. Just choose your diamond and setting. When you've found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Finding the right engagement ring can be nerve-wracking. At Blue Nile, you'll have the expert guidance needed and a diamond guarantee that ensures you're getting the highest quality at the best price. Cherish all of life's moments and save up to 30% at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Y'all hear me okay? Yep, all good now. You hear, him? You hear me? Yeah, I don't know. I'm not saying it was on your end, but it was just, it was really fuzzy, and I just thought this would be better than us trying to talk over each other because there was, there was a bit of a lag. Yeah, absolutely. All good. Uh, no, I was just saying it, it felt like a very important football game, and it went well for Ole Miss. It was very, you know, well filled. Stadium was almost to sell out, and it was, it was fun. That was a lot of fun. And like I said, it couldn't have gone better for Ole Miss. So uh, you started to say that. Where are you right now? What's going on with your uh, your location? <laughs> I am at the Ritz Carlton in downtown Atlanta, and my uh, close friend Michael Porter is has a suite at the Ritz, and he is signing a couple of Ole Miss players to professional, uh, I guess, agency agreement contracts after that. So I'm sitting here in the suite at the Ritz trying to figure out uh, how to act like I belong in such an, in such an arena. Uh, are we willing to uh, say who those people are yet, or are we waiting on announcements on those? Uh, the hell with it. I could get in trouble, but I don't give a shit. It's uh, Victor Kern and uh, Jeremiah G. Baptiste. Okay. There you, uh, there you go on that one. You know, Kern, speaking of, I think he's an interesting guy at the next level because I don't I mean, I, I'm not going to pretend that I'm some scout or know anything from a draft standpoint. But when we look at this season and what Ole Miss got out of certain guys, and we're going to talk about the impact of Trey Harris and all these different dudes and what they did, and it's all very legitimate. But considering the offensive line struggles, Victor Kern – has the chance to be one of those top couple transfers that really changed Ole Miss's season because especially when Williams was out, Pettis was out, Kern's ability to come in, play left tackle, play right tackle, move around, kind of do whatever Ole Miss needed. I mean, it sort of has that same effect that, you know, way back on a way different level because this team just won 11 games, and I get that team went six, won six games. But kind of what like Pierce Burton or some of those dudes did. I mean, he's somebody they were able to plug in and move around that without him they would have been kind of screwed up front. I agree with every part of that. I mean, it was one of those things where they started two freshman tackles last year in Williams and Pettis, and then you got into this season. It was like, okay, Kern's playing over them, and then he never really relinquished his spot. He was pretty versatile. Um, you know, I'm, he wasn't a perfect left tackle by any stretch of the imagination, but you never, 
I don't remember leaving a football game that Ole Miss lost in the two that they lost or a game that they struggled in thinking, man, they were really struggling on the left side of the offensive line. He was just kind of a quiet transfer from Washington. He's a very good kid, comes from a very good family that wanted to up his pro stock, and I think he accomplished that this year. I think you're exactly right. You know, He left this game today. Um, he actually ran right by us into the tunnel, and I was looking at Michael like, hey, is your guy okay? Like, what's going on here? He comes back out, comes back out with his helmet on, I was like, okay, it'll be interesting to see if he goes back in the game. He goes back in the game, and it was like nothing happened, right? They put Jeremy James at right tackle and Williams at left tackle for a series or series and a half or so, and then he comes back out, and they were fine. I, I agree. I think he was – it was one of those things. Even he went into the season with Williams and Pettis as your tackles, you had Pettis go down. What do you do if you don't have a Victor Kern? Like, what, what, is that, what does that look like for an offensive line to the end of the year? It kind of became reshuffled and was really – makeshift for the last three games of the year. I, I agree. I, I, I think Victor Kern is an unsung hero on this Ole Miss football team that just won 11 games. So give me a little color as you know. early on, Penn State had some momentum because of their line play on both sides of the ball. As you said, a pretty even split crowd, but Ole Miss had a, had a few more. Ole Miss definitely had a, had a majority of the crowd at least from over more than a 50-50 split. But as the game started kind of getting away, it felt like Ole Miss got pretty raucous. I mean, did Penn State kind of hang in? Did they go to the tunnels at some point? I mean, what was sort of fan environment movement as the game went on? No, I would say from the – I would – you know, that pass that uh, yeah, I was texting you about where Ole Miss had just scored and they had kind of Penn State, uh, pinned Penn State back a little bit, no pun intended, and he, the hour kind of tried to scramble and then threw like a little bit of a flutter ball through that was like, how did that not get intercepted? And all of a sudden it was like a 77-yard gain, and they were down by the goal line. Really up to that point, I thought Ole Miss kind of dominated the game, and I thought the crowd reflected that as well for the most part. And I, I don't know. I mean, I defer to you in that point too. Is like the first two series of this game, Ole Miss got dominated up front in that first series there on offense. And then Penn State was gaining, what, about five and a half, six yards to carry every time they ran the football. I still, for the life of me, don't understand why they threw the football in that third and four by the goal line on their first series. And then something flipped, and I can't really put my finger on it. You would probably have a better idea of watching the game on television from the vantage point that I had. What do you think changed in that game? I thought it was a schematic master class from Kiffin and Weiss. I mean, if you'd have told me that Ole Miss only had 146 yards rushing and averaged three yards of rush, but yeah. somehow averaged six and a half yards of play. I, I don't really know how to explain that other than the fact that they really just schooled them schematically. And again, you'd have a better vantage point. Well, what do you think changed after the first two series of the game? Pete, you're hanging out with us. Give me a, give, give me an idea there on the stream. I mean, was it, is it adjustments? What, what, what was the movement there? Was it simply getting through the script and they had things that worked and utilized one-on-one matchups? What'd you see, Pete? You're a, you're a football uh, guru. You know, yeah, you know, look, I, I thought I was with you. Look, I'm not I, I don't know exactly what changed, but I thought that it was really interesting early on that I told Jeffrey they didn't have a straight run play or, a, or an RPO that resulted in a run for maybe the first two series. And they were clearly trying to throw open, work on mismatch in the passing game, protect enough to hit some short throws and do some things and then soften it up where they could run the football. And they were just counting bodies, and when you do that, and the matchup says throw, you throw, and you you do the kind of things from how to how to, how to justify all of the RPOs. But their ability to take advantage of the one on ones to get the ball out ahead of blitzes and slow them down enough to utilize things in the speed game and on the outside were really masterful. I mean, it's what I said earlier is that I, I give Lane and his offense so much credit 
for not overthinking because you hit you said it too. I mean, the, the, the story of this game from the Penn State side is that they could not throw the football. And early on, when it was still a game and they still had possible momentum, they just kept running. You know, they, they wouldn't just keep running it over and over and over until you stopped it. I mean, at one point, one of the running backs was averaging 7.8 a carry and one was averaging 6.6 a carry. And then after that, they start throwing it and they let Hour kind of mess them up and they do all those things. Lane doesn't do that. When he has mismatches, he just rides them until they go away. And that's something that for whatever reason, that does, doesn't always happen. <coughs> You're right. And it was very clearly a game plan that they were wanting to stick to and they were patient with, right? I mean, you texted me. I think Ole Miss was on the third drive of the game and I just received a text from you that was like, they haven't run a run play yet. I'm sitting right. there thinking, have they? And then, all of course, like right on cue, they run Judkins, and it was the th- but it was the third drive of the game before they actually ran a run play. So it was very clear. You know, Penn State has a very fierce defensive front. It seemed like to me it was very clear that Kiffin and the staff was like, look, we're not going to make our hay running the football on this team. We're going to need to do exactly what you said, kind of find soft matches um, amongst Penn State secondary and just stick with it. And it didn't look great, like I said, for the first two series of the game, but credit them, they stuck with it, and they, they ended up really kind of schooling them on that. I mean, look – as much as I would love to credit the uh, Caden Freescorn performance to appearing on the Rippy Wrights podcast, I don't think it was an accident that he had like 13 catches for two touchdowns and should have been three if one wasn't called back today. They identified something in that secondary and in the second level with as fierce of a first level as Penn State has, and they, they kind of dominated them because of that. Again, they ran for 146 yards at three and a half yards to carry and won the game by what should have been 21 points. Yeah, I was going to give you a chance to brag on your boy there. I mean, Caden, Caden Priestcorn goes for whatever the hell it ended up being today. He has, what, 10 catches for 160-something and two. I mean, and, and half those catches seemed like they were with one hand. I mean, what got into your boy? I don't really know. I, I did. I was I was, I was was diving into the resources of the Priestcorn camp, and I, I was told that had he not appeared on my podcast in December, today would not have been possible. Um, so whatever you want to make of that. But – in a, on a serious note, Ole Miss is – aren't they a little bit fortunate in, in a selfish sense that he was injured for the first three games of the year? Because, look, he gets – he was right up – I mean, you, you covered fall camp and all that. They, they were pretty adamant that he was going to be a core part of this offense. And he gets hurt the week before the first game. He misses the first game. He comes back for Alabama. He wasn't really a practice guy. I mean, when I say practice guy, he didn't really practice at all until the Auburn game. And so he never really got into a rhythm. So he became this seldom-used tight end that was this very large target that was a very big weapon. But from my vantage point, and he even admitted this a little bit when I talked to him on that podcast on a serious note, like, had he been a guy that was just healthy for 12 games, I'm not sure they'd get him back next year. Do you think the same thing, or do you differ on that? You would know far better than me. Frankly, you would be pretty well-sourced, even though if he hasn't come out and said it. So, I would, I mean, I, I would never argue with your thought there. But, no, I think you're exactly right. And, look, I know he didn't get a great grade, and that factored into coming back. But, you know, look, some of that goes for Trey Harris, too. Does he make a different decision if he stays healthy for 12 games and has – 1,300 Absolutely. yards catching instead of 975 or whatever it ended up being. I think he didn't finish just shy of 1,000 for the year. But, I mean, we're talking about two guys that are a huge reason why Ole Miss is going to go into next season, five, six, seven in the country, whatever the hell it is, because you look at their skill players and barring something unexpected as far as what that retention looks like, I mean, we're talking about a pass duo, or not a duo, a, a, t- a tandem situation there that's priestcorn. Harris, Watkins, Juice Wells, Deion Smith, 
And I didn't even mention Aiden Williams. I mean, the matchups are really ridiculous on what they're going to have ability to do there. Hudson Wolf has actually flashed a little. He got a catch today. I like his game if he can stay healthy. But Caden's ability to do everything from that tight end position, because he's a good run blocker too, it, it it's a game changer. And I think you're right. I think a guy who had a little more... You know, a little more experience at the at the Power Five level that stays healthy. He might be making a different decision today versus what he is, which is coming back and being a key reason why Ole Miss has such expectations for twenty twenty four. And you bring that part of it about it next year. I mean, they add Juice Wells. They 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 get Trey Harris back. I mean, look, we've seen Lane very much be active in the portal for the last couple of years, and a lot of guys have hit. They've had a lot of important pieces, but. To me, Trey Harris, and this is something that I realized today, I say realized today, something that stood out to me today, whether it was one of his two catches on the sideline or that one that he caught that was almost a touchdown, they've had guys that have made a difference on the football team that they've gotten through the portal, but he strikes me as the first, like, holy hell, this guy's a massive difference maker that could be an all-SEC guy that they got out of the portal that is now coming back next year. He, particularly, like you mentioned, with... Deion Smith and Juice Wells and Priestcorn coming back, he's going to be an issue next year in the SEC. He, he is unbelievable. And he, to me, is the greatest example of, like, you can find difference makers in the portal because he is absolutely that. And they liked him so much on his, you know, his buy-in. It wasn't necessarily even just what he did on the field, but they thought his attitude and all played, they thought he would be a chemistry guy, somebody who wouldn't give up if things early in the season didn't go his way. And he showed that because he gets injured, comes back, ends up throwing up the big game today. I think Harris ended up with seven catches, 134 maybe, something like that. Uh, by the way, I love this big brain thing on Twitter. And if you're in the stream, I appreciate you being there, but I'm still going to make fun of you. I had somebody uh, upset because of the late game play calling on Twitter because they didn't make sure that Harris got his 1,000 uh, yards receiving. Dude ended up with like 10 targets on 134 yards today. They didn't exactly go away from him. It just it just kind of happened the way it did, bud. Uh, Look, man, the Grove Collective is churning and burning, but they are not doing yardage incentives yet, unless you've heard something that I haven't. Well, that is technically illegal, but <laughs> that, is, that is technically illegal, and they operate by the letter of the law, as we've exactly. written about. So you know, maybe get over the thousand yard thing. He'll be back next year. Yeah, uh, receiving today: Priest Corn ten for one thirty six, Harris for seven for one thirty four. Dayton Wade, uh, three for 61. As, as mentioned a couple times in the stream, I see uh, Luke mentioning it, and Pete did as well. Caden Lee with a pretty nice day today, even despite only some modest stats. Three for 29, but he played in, in place of Watkins, who had been dealing with a, with a hamstring injury. They had Watkins, Watkins back there to return punts because it wouldn't be an Ole Miss team if they didn't have a lack of depth catching punts. But, uh, you know, for the most part, Pretty, pretty even, pretty uh, successful day there at the at the, uh, at the entire time. Uh, rushing 34 for 106 for Judkins. And Judkins was up to 129 or 131 prior to some of that crazy stuff late. Uh, he actually had a much better day than 34 for 106. I was like, if we have a small gripe with this team, do you have a theory on the punt returning thing? Like, Watkins broke his hand, and they still stuck him back there during the regular I don't season to return punt. He's clearly hurt today. Why, why is he the only dude that can catch punts? Like, like, do we have any sort of intel on this? I, I, I don't know. I'm wondering if it's a national problem more than I realize, and it's just that I don't pay attention in that way. So if guys muff punts, I'm not looking at it. I don't know. I mean, yeah, I have no idea. I don't have so an answer for I'll you. Put on that back, 
I'll flip it back on you for a second. I have been obviously watching the postgame stuff was lame, and obviously I didn't get to watch the television broadcast. But as Ole Miss enters with a ton of momentum next year, what, what did you kind of, for lack of a better phrase, what was kind of the general vibe of Ole Miss beating the hell out of Penn State on national television? What, what was kind of the sense you got heading into next year? Oh, I think – I mean, I told Jeffrey, I think they're about to be a media darling for how many ever months. I think Ole Miss is going to be this offseason's version of LSU going into this season. Um, maybe Texas in some ways going into this season. I mean, I think you're talking about the top five in a lot of in a lot of ballots. Um, you know, look, I don't know if they're going to finish top. You know, if they're going to start the year top five, but I think they're going to be picked in the top five by a lot of individual ballots. Um, I think they're the team, as Jeffrey said, who if you just don't want to be boring and go Michigan, Ohio State, Alabama, Georgia. They're going to be right there with Texas on the next teams that you're talking about to potentially disrupt this entire thing. I mean, it's what it's what's so fascinating. I read Ole Miss's schedule right before you got on air with us, and I just think that there is some some interesting dynamics of where they're starting, the way they're probably getting off the season to start, the the, the big start they're probably going to have with the first six games being very winnable. I mean, you're talking about a really successful high profile deal for a program between now and you know again they can lose games I mean I don't want to put just W's on the side of the scoreboard and call it a day but potentially barring upsets between now and whenever that game kicks off in Baton Rouge and frankly almost October and it's immediate darling that can back it up um I mean they're they're with the reinforcements coming they're they're going to be look I know I got shit about this on the message board. I keep asking the question, like, is Ole Miss a good football team? Clearly they're a good football team. But, like, they were kind of a beat-up football team toward the end of the season. And maybe the most surprising part about what happened today was the fact that they scored so many points on what was supposed to be, and I think still is, a pretty elite Penn State defense and a very, very elite, even without Chop Robinson, defensive front for Ole Miss. And I think that showed itself in the first drive of the game where it was like, oh, my God, he's got a are these, guys, are these guys going to gain 300 yards of offense? Like, how is this going to go today? They did that today, and they have the reinforcements on the way. You're right. They're going to be immediate, darling, but I think they can back it up with what they have coming. And, again, I keep asking you questions on your own show, but, like, you've been around this longer than I have. I've texted a couple of people about this. Where will this rank? I was a college student in 2014. I won't pretend to say I followed the program like I do in like a reporter journalistic sense or whatever version of covering the team where will this rank in terms of the most anticipated Ole Miss football season since you've been around it because to me it's one of one it's one of one I mean the only even comparisons are 2008 going to 2009 because that 2009 team was ranked fourth in the country in the preseason that was a team on the cover of Sports Illustrated that was it's a weird year because, in hindsight, that team lost some games. That team never should have been there. That was a team that was very weak mentally in some ways and didn't handle it well. If you remember, that was the Houston Nut that was going to have like the – I think it was True TV. They were going to do like this inside the NFL type documentary on the team and then Nut shut it down right before it was supposed to be aired and – Things just didn't go well. They lose the game in South Carolina, and it sort of, you know, they ended up still in an access bowl, but or not an access bowl, I guess a cotton bowl back then. There was no access bowls. But it just, it, it, it never really got going there at the same time. And then in 15, look, that was Laramie's junior year, Robert's junior year, Laquan's junior year. But 
you didn't you, you people were excited about Chad Kelly, but they didn't know Chad was going to be as good as Chad ended up being. You're replacing the quarterback. You know what I mean? I mean, so that would be a possibility too. But going into it, where no, the expectation is to just go win a you know to to compete for a title. It's it's fifteen or now, but it's now. I mean, it's it's not, and it's not even really debatable. Fifteen is a clear number two, but it's behind what we're about to get into because it's not. Hey, if things go right, it's Ole Miss is going to have to lose football games. It's not expected to lose to miss the playoff next season. That's the truth. Which that, that, that that's where it is. I mean that that is the expectation, and that's Ole Miss's deal as a program. Is you know, look, this is a this is a checklist game again. When we talked about this earlier. Getting that 11th win, I think, look, in the sense of tangible things, does not matter. Not really. Sorry, guys. I have a cold. I'm kind of trying to fight through it. I apologize for my pronunciation a little bit. Um, Does that really matter? No. But a program that's on the rise, you need to get a season where you have 11 wins. Okay, check. You need to win an access bowl. Again, check. You need to beat a prominent program in an access bowl. There's There's a lot of big difference from a exposure standpoint on beating Penn State in a game like this, even with the opt-outs and all that crap, and the number one defense in the country versus beating Oklahoma State. Oklahoma State didn't carry that same type of appeal. It was a Big Ten team, the clear Big Ten number three. In a way, it was a a postseason game with preseason implications on the winner of this game was going to probably be ranked higher in the preseason going into next year and be the top Big Ten or SEC sleeper team to really make a run. And by Ole Miss handling that game the way they did, just simply from a scoreboard standpoint, and putting up 500 yards of offense, they are going to go into next season as the winner of that little competition. It's going to be Ole Miss and Missouri and then Penn State probably in that order in that little game of where you go into the preseason. So, no, Ole Miss is going to spend nine months and then even longer as they win games. Absolutely a team that's just simply expected to go 10-2 and two or so or whatever you want to make it, make the playoff, and then compete for a, a title and whatever means you want to say it. Because, you know, look, if you make the playoff, you are competing for a title. We talk about what you can take from a game like this where, I mean, we were texting about it during the week, like, hey, we just need them to win so we have something to talk about. Like, what is actually, what are we going to talk about on this post-game show that we're doing now if they lose? Like, you're right, it doesn't really matter, but if they win, it makes the conversation a lot easier. And I talked about that with Weldon on the podcast earlier in the week, and I mentioned one thing, and look, I get a million things wrong, but I was like, look, if Ole Miss marches the football up and down the field on this Penn State defense, that will be, with what they have returning next year, one of the things I would follow away of, like, okay, maybe with Priestcorn healthy and Harris healthy and all these different guys, that might be something I would actually follow away for next year. If you're actually talking about one thing you could take away toward next year is if they really just march the football up and down the field on this Penn State defense, I would follow that away of, like, okay, maybe they've kind of hit this moment. And they – scored 38 points on a team where they weren't running the matchup up front and sometimes they were getting dominated up front they just kind of schemed their way around it and like heading into next year where you have reinforcements on the way i find that to be a fascinating dynamic with this team and we've seen lane as the up-and-coming guy as you know building the program he won 10 games twice how do you think they'll handle expectations as the hunted next year for the lack of a better phrase this is now playoff or bust how do you think they will handle a bunch of new dudes in the room a bunch of very talented guys in the room but now it's not oh, can you go win 10 games when we told you in the preseason you win seven and a half or eight? How do you think they'll handle the fact that this is playoff or this is a failure? I think they're going to relish it in a way. 
Um, now, look, how I they did. handle it, that's different because we don't know the answer to that yet. We don't know what all these portal editions are going to be like. We don't know what that's going to look like yet. So I, I, I don't know. But Jackson Dart almost kind of craves that, in my opinion. You know it better than I do, but I mean, I think it's a situation where, frankly, Dart almost gets offended that he's not considered a hunt, a, you know, a hunter, if you will, or a hunted. Like, and I don't mean chip on the shoulder necessarily, but you know what I mean. Like, oh, kind of feeds off that. Like, kind of wants to wants to be a front runner a little bit. Um, I think they have that case. I think that. I think they have enough veterans that they're in a pretty good shape as far as that goes. Because that can definitely derail some teams. And we mentioned 2009. I think that's one of the things they didn't handle very well. I think it's absolutely one of the things 2009 did not handle well was being the hunter instead of the hunter. But I think you're exactly right. They return enough of the nucleus to where I don't think that's going to be a problem. I don't think there's going to be cohesion problems. Right? That's the whole storyline. It's like, well, you bring these guys in in the portal or they're going to be chemistry issues. They bring enough guys back next year off a team that had a ton of new faces and they melded them together and they liked them next year. And now you're just adding on top of it. You're not really reshaping the whole roster. You're adding more guys on top of what were a lot of portal guys that came here and decided they want to stay here for another year. I don't really have any sort of concern about cohesion or chemistry or mental toughness or any of that with this team. It's just going to be a matter of, I mean, again, there's a fine line, there's a thin margin in college football when you get a 12-game regular season with a 12-team playoff. How does that actually end up? But I, I really don't have any concerns of, like, will this team wilt the first time they lose a football game? I, I really that, that, that I think that conversation needs to be put on the back burner. Pete has a good point, too. He says the program will handle it as Lane handles it. We've seen the difference in home field product based on the difference we see in Lane. Lane is going to be more engaged in a way because, look, Lane's mode and goal is to win games and win championships. Frankly, he gets a little bored once the stakes lower. He's a lot more locked in when things really matter. And I I get the whole Alabama thing with him. That's a different conversation. In general, you get the best Lane when there are stakes on things. So I think I, I think Lane's a better coach actually coaching from the front like that. Oh, 100%. And Alabama's not on the schedule next year. We don't have to do that whole thing of what does this season look like post-Alabama when Lane makes that into a circus. They're not on the schedule next year. You can go 10-2 and two next year and make the playoff. Now, I think one of the things that we'll miss next year is, like, can you somehow get to 11-1 and one and, like, host a playoff game? I don't know how that's going to look. But you're right. When the stakes matter and Lane doesn't get in his own head with whatever side storyline or whatever it may be, you get the best version of Lane. And I think the way the schedule shakes out next year, you're going to get the best version of Lane for 12 football games. There is no, oh, Hugh Freeze, they're going to Auburn. Is he going to make that into a media circus? Oh, he handles the Alabama game differently because Alabama's on the schedule. There's none of that next year. They need to go win 12 football games to improve their seating as much as possible to get to the college football playoff and maybe host a game. Yeah. If that's a thing. I don't even know how that works. Do you even know how the rules work for this shit next year? As in what part of it? Are they going to are we going to have home games? How is this going to Yes, work? the first round of playoff games are at home. You have four buys and then you're going to have eight teams with four four teams hosting four teams. That's correct. This I mean, this is this is what Lane thought he could do at Ole Miss, and I know he's flirted with other jobs. But I mean, we're—I guess for the lack of a phrase, we are going to get peak Lane Kiffin in his best version next year, in my opinion. Yeah, if you finish five through eight in the country at the end of the regular season, you will host a playoff game. 
what do you think that'll mean for a program like that? We have this new version of college football, this new era. We've covered the growth collective part of it. What do you think it'll be like next December when Ole Miss is playing a December football game and bought Hemingway Stadium? Again, I'm not guaranteeing. I'm just saying if it happens. What do you think that will mean for the program in that moment? Oh, I mean, it's – there aren't words. It's the biggest game in program history, and it's – it's validation of everything you have done. I mean, that's where – it's the thing with today. I mean, you know, look, we're talking so much about next year, and I get why we why we are. But as I mentioned a minute ago, and how Jeffrey and I were talking about, you guys, I mean, and, and fans, you guys enjoy it. You deserve it. You've bought into this. You just finished off the best season since integration. Period. You just had the best football season you have had since the 1960s. And you are expecting a season next year to be as good or better in that standpoint. And that only happened because of really smart leadership that hired Lane Kiffin. Lane Kiffin buying into the program and believing he could win. Hiring assistants. Hiring Pete Golding. Pete buying in for family and personal reasons. The administration backing it, making the right decisions with the Grove Collective from William William Liston to Walker Jones all the way down from the big money boosters like David Nutt and Crimes Pittman and the real and, and Bill and Tyler Jordan and those guys, all the way down to the s- subscribers who pay whatever it is a month and, and, and are kind of the infantry for the Grove Collective. I mean, in all seriousness, it's a pretty elaborate plan that took a lot of right decisions that paid off today. You beat Penn State. You didn't just beat somebody. You played in the Peach Bowl and beat Penn State and... It was, I mean, it's a, it's almost kind of a four-year process. It's gotten Ole Miss to where it got today. And this is a team and a program that, I mean, you're probation five, six years ago. You, I mean, you're, yep. you couldn't even go to a bowl game. I mean, I, 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 I don't know. I, I guess it's, I feel like we look forward sometimes so much that we don't really stop and go, holy shit. Like, at the number of things that have gone on to get to today, forget tomorrow, but today, 11-2. and two. You lost to Alabama and Georgia. No shame in that. Beat everybody else. And beat Penn State today. I don't know. I just I, I think sometimes you just kind of stop and, you know, not necessarily smell the roses, but it's not always about tomorrow. It's a lot about what's actually been accomplished already to this point. Remarkably well said. Ole Miss fans should enjoy this day. And you talk about the buy-in and everyone rowing in the same direction. And in this NIL era, like you can't like the fan before this when it's bag men and it's trying to get the recruits and it's trying to catch up with Alabama or whoever else is at the top of college football at the time. Everything was so black market behind the scenes. You like if you're a fan, don't get me wrong. Like you're, you're going to be invested. You're going to be emotionally invested. It, now it's more tangible. I, I sat in front of a guy today who had a Grove Collective hat on. And I just sat there. He's probably my, around my age. And clearly, I assume if he has a hat on, he probably donates. I don't mean to make any assumptions about that. But, like, that guy, whatever he donates a month, he's donating that, and he's seeing the product on the field. Like, I, mean, I had a guy that stopped me on the way out of the stadium. He was like, you guys are doing a show tonight? I was like, yeah, you know, I'll probably hop on. Hopefully Chase won't kick me off before I... Before things get too sideways. But people like that feel like they're in or I say feel like they are invested in this and they are the cogs and the machines that are making this happen. Look, NIL is a mess. There's so much other things that we can talk about about how this sport needs to be legislated. But the one beauty of NIL, if you have fan buy in and you have the guy donating ten dollars a month to the Grove Collective or ten thousand dollars a month, 
everyone tangibly now has skin in the game. And when you see the product on the field, that's only going to increase the buy-in because you literally put your own hard-earned money and your own skin in the game. And I felt like I sensed that today in the Ole Miss crowd, and I'm probably getting a little too Pollyanna with that. But I'm just looking around at people that I know are donors to the Grove Collective, and they're watching them win their 11th game, and they played a part in this, and they played in part of the reinforcements coming next year, if that makes any sense. Oh, no, 100%. You're exactly uh, right. I know you got good stuff going on. I've got Neil on the line now, Brian. Appreciate it. Uh, I'm gonna, I'll shoot you a text when we get done, and let's uh, we'll coordinate how this thing goes. But go uh, enjoy the next hour. Sounds like a plan. Y'all have a happy new year. Mr. McCready, how are you? I am good. How are you? I'm uh, loading something super fast. Can you hear me? Hold on. Yep, you're good. Okay. I'll get you put into the screen in a second. Brian was having some internet trouble, so I had him on Skype instead of the eCam. All uh, right, I'm almost there. I'm just I'm oh, uploading yeah. uploading some video. Georgia now up 35-3 to on Florida State in the uh, Orange Bowl. 3-12 left in the second quarter of that one. Quite the uh, blowout in play in Miami. And then uh, in Nashville. Is that still going on? Is that game still happening? Or have they done yet? Let's see. They're in commercial break, so I don't have a final on the Auburn-Maryland uh ass kicking that is going on there i'm good you're good now all right yep uh oh listen while i'm getting you into the uh the picture i guess we saw the game we've talked plenty about it we'll come back to that tell me about post game what lane say what anybody else say what uh what news mood color whatever you want to say uh let's see they kind of did it in a way that uh lane was in one room with caden Priestcorn and jay and um jared ivy and then they brought uh, Quinshawn and um, Jackson and um, Trey Harris and Dejon Anthony to a, another room. I went to that room because I didn't trust other people to get what we needed from those guys. You know, I knew there would be people that would be asking the obvious questions of Lane and that kind of thing. So I got that, and then I got to the end of of Lanes where you couldn't really ask anything because you didn't know what had already been asked. But, um, I mean, the mood was what you would expect. Uh, very, very happy, um, satisfied. Um, you know, Lane talked about they're building something, they're just getting started, that this is kind of the beginning, which is sort of the sense that I had kind of all week. And, and today it's what I wrote my column about. Um, you know, we asked – Jackson and Quinshawn about their futures and got the same vague, no answer answers that we've been getting all week, which is what I expected. Reporting 101 for people who don't understand it, you ask because you have to ask, even though you pretty much know that's probably going to be the answer that you're going to get. Um, so, yeah, we did all that. And, um, you know, I mean, a lot of talk about what they achieved, a lot of talk about uh, the, the history of what they achieved, the first time in program history to win 11 games and um, obviously finishing in the top 10, maybe even pushing the top five and uh, then a whole lot of talk already about next year and, and um, what the goal is for next season and, and um, the, the team that they're building for next year, which on paper is going to be significant, assuming that, that Jackson comes back and assuming that Quinshawn comes back, a, a team that 
next season on paper is going to be significantly better than the one that just went 11 and 2. I told Brian a second ago, I think right before you came on, the story is next season, but it's almost hindering the fact of everybody stopping to think about how far this damn thing has come and just what they just did. I mean, 11 and 2 went over Penn State today. Call it what you want to call it. Having the season where you beat every team you're supposed to beat. Up and down, period. You potentially beat one or two you weren't supposed to beat. You maximize it every day. And the build off of the day that Lane Kiffin was hired, the administration making that decision, the Grove Collective coming on, getting out early, all the things that happened with Liston and Walker and fan buy-in and Lane being willing to pass off so much to Pete and the things that have happened. I mean... There's a lot of shit that's going on that's going well for Ole Miss to get to this day. That And I, I kind of started waxing poetic, and I didn't necessarily mean to, but I do think, and it, it look, it's the story. I'm gonna, My next question is going to be about next season. But at the same time, like, there does have to be a little bit of a pause and go, holy crap. Like, it's a, it's a, it's a remarkable turnaround. Yeah, I mean, it's a stunning turnaround in a really short period of time. It's only been a little more than four years. Like four years and I guess four and a half, four years and like half a month since uh, Lane Kiffin got the job at Ole Miss, and you throw in the reality that the whole pandemic thing happened four months in and really completely impacted their ability to recruit and kind of get any traction that whole twenty twenty one season even that everybody talks about, and as you said, people kind of wax poetic about that year they couldn't recruit during it because you had all the mandates and the stuff and um yeah i mean it's 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 hard to even it's hard to really put into words kind of how they have gotten where they've gotten it's it's been um i mean i feel like we i wrote this in 2019 before they hired him he just felt like a perfect fit and he was and um, the Golding hire was huge, but like I don't really think the impact of that is going to be felt until next season. Um, I don't know. I, I mean, I just watched it, and I've I've seen people on Twitter do the whole Penn State's not any good. I disagree completely. Uh, I, I couldn't disagree more. In fact, I, I think Penn State is good. I watched Penn State probably play six times this season. Um, I know some guys opted out, um, stuff like that, but. No, Penn State's a good team. Um, That's a playoff team with Jackson Dart at quarterback. Yeah, absolutely. Um, they, they've got weapons. The two running backs are good. They're 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 very very uh, explosive up front on defense. Uh, Jackson uh, is I don't know if it's Jackson or not. Uh, number eleven, Abdul. I can't think of Abdul Carter. He's terrific. He's a stud. He he would uh-huh. he would walk into Ole Miss's defense right now today and be the best player on the defense. Yeah. Um, they had some they have some guys in the secondary. James Franklin, for all the stuff people say about him, he's a hell of a coach. Look at his look at his record. Um, and Ole Miss just dominated them in the second half. Just 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 dominated them. And, and that's not the kind of thing that that you'd expect to see. I mean, Ole Miss just won eleven games with you know kind of a makeshift offensive line. Um, and a and a this isn't completely fair, but at times kind of what was a ragtag defense in spots. And um, like you said, they won every game they were supposed to win. 
Um, they won close games. They, they they found ways to come back in games. They, they lost at Alabama, a team that is about to play for a national semifinal. They lost to Georgia, a team that probably should be playing a national semifinal right now. Um, it, it, it was it's a remarkable a remarkable story, it really is, and it's kind of one that. And I wrote this, and then I, I kind of felt validated when he said it right away. This did not feel like the culmination of a story. It sort of felt like a springboard. Yeah, it really did. I mean, that's why so much has been focused. Because I, I, I got to ask this question. I don't know if it was in the stream or from Brian. Where do you put the 2024 anticipation? And I think in hindsight, we forget how anticipated that 2009 season was because of how it ended up going. But that doesn't match this. I mean, for either you or I, since we've been covering this program, nothing – I mean, th- this is going to be an off season unlike any more because – it's not even going to be this kind of sleeper what-if thing. Ole Miss is going to be expected to be in the playoff. They're going to get a lot of top five votes going into the preseason for next year, and they've got this soft schedule, soft relative to the SEC, that's going to allow them to sort of get acclimated to each other in a way before their hardest games even come on the schedule. I mean, it's sort of the perfect accumulation of all those things. Neil just jumped off. I assume he will come back in a second, clearly having some uh, technical difficulties. No big deal there. We'll get him back on the horn. There he is. There you go. Sorry about that. Wi-Fi has been a little in and out. It'll just kind of fade for a second, then it'll come back for an hour and fade. There's a lot of people in the building that are using it. Jay Young, thanks for Super Chat. Says, hot take and coming on business and hire Lane Kiffin if it wasn't for the rant. Thanks again for the job all you guys do. Thanks for the Super Chat on that one. What I was saying was 2009 gets overlooked, but this is by far the most anticipated offseason that Ole Miss has had since you or I have been around, right? Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, I, Because of the playoff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, well, yeah, the playoff, the addition of Texas and Oklahoma, and then, I mean, look, the fact is, and I was kind of – I had some time to think about this when I was working on my column. Um, if you're listing – and it's early. It's December the 30th. There's, there's some time to perfect the list. But if you're listing um, national title contenders for 2024, you don't say too many schools before you say Ole Miss. I mean, you say Alabama, of course, Georgia. They've earned that. Um, Michigan, probably, probably Michigan. Uh, depending on Harbaugh, te- yeah, depending on Harbaugh, uh, probably Texas. They're, they're, that's they're, it. That's and then list. after that, that's probably it. I mean, maybe you know, you get into the conversation about Oregon or Washington or or Utah or you know, um, maybe some teams about to have a, a big portal load that they they bring in a bunch of guys. I don't really know what Florida State situation is for next season. You know, Ohio State, depending on what they do at quarterback, because they're Ohio State and they're going to have athletes everywhere, although their record against the SEC is the, – the one in 13 thing was wow. Like, I didn't realize that. Um, so, but, yeah, it's Ole Miss. I mean, Ole Miss, if you were doing a preseason poll right now for next season, I mean, I think you'd put them fifth. Fifth? I, I think if you do a postseason poll, it's, it's going to be the – the four teams that are ahead, and then 
probably Georgia, and then Ole Miss. I mean, Ole Miss is probably going to finish the season ranked number six in the AP poll. You think they jump Missouri? I don't know. Optically, Ole Miss is going yeah. to be higher in the preseason next year than Missouri, for sure. I think that's what Ole Miss did today, was I think that by beating Penn State the way they beat Penn State – they won that preseason competition, if you will, of being ranked higher than Missouri and Penn State and Oregon and those kind of teams. Yeah, and Missouri loses some guys. Like, they lose Schrader, you know, off that team, and, and he was such a big part of, of that team. Um, I don't know. I mean, at the end of the day, it really doesn't matter. Like, I'm sure it's not great podcast fodder for July and, and August, but the difference between fifth and seventh next season is immaterial um, because of the 12-team playoff. Here's the truth about Ole Miss right now is that anything less than a playoff appearance next season based on what we know today will be a remarkable disappointment. And yeah. for a program to get to that place in that amount of time from where Ole Miss was, I just go back and think about that November night in 2019 when they were losing a seven or ten point game or something to Texas A&M and um, the program was full. I mean, it kind of felt like I don't know, Auburn this year was kind of flat, just sort of there. Um, for them to be four years later, in a, or I guess five years later, in a position where if you don't make the playoff, it's a disappointment, that's, that's incredible. Did you catch any of that Auburn game today, by the way? Good God. I did, I did not. I, Jeffrey texted me a score at one point, and that's that's all I've seen. I'm shocked, I, really, blown away yeah. by that. I, I'm, I'm, no, I was I was pretty locked in on writing and covering, and and um, and I didn't I didn't see anything else. I, I got when I got back up to the press box, I saw the the Georgia Florida State score, um, but no, that's literally it. I, I, I've no. I, the only other thing I know has happened in sports because Carson texted me in, in the second quarter about a Knicks Raptors trade. That's that's the extent of my of my sports knowledge outside of what happened in this stadium, Auburn, which is really Auburn. nice, by the way. If you've never been here, it's it's a really nice facility. Auburn uh, loses thirty one thirteen to Maryland today in the backup quarterback for the Terrapins, uh, and then we are twenty four seconds from halftime. The Georgia Bulldogs are up forty two to three on the Florida State Seminoles in the second quarter. Yep. That was the most predictable game. I, I, I'm yeah. mad at myself, I, honestly. The, the thought that went through my mind when I walked into the press box was, you dumbass, why didn't you just take a couple hundred bucks and just take Georgia and lay whatever? And You're going to feel pretty good about it. I mean, Georgia is kind of like annoyed in this game, and Florida State has no one playing, and it's just completely lifeless, and it just is what it is. Like, yeah, it's, I mean, it's, I, it's, I'm, I'm not going to judge Florida State for today. I'm, why would you show? Why would you show up? I know we haven't hit a lot of specifics on the game today, but you you tweeted about it, and I kind of had already written it a little bit in, in rapid reaction. That was a masterclass on play calling, on avoiding the frankly their their problems up front on both sides of the ball, and then what Ole Miss did offensively to maximize matchups. It's what I know people that's been in the stream for the full hour and a half or two hours is we're getting annoyed with me because I keep saying the same thing, but. I thought you saw the microcosm today of Lane worked, Lane Weiss, however you want to phrase it, worked to have matchups and then exploited them and took advantage of them and stayed with them. And Franklin or the OC or whoever calls plays at Penn State was determined that, by God, we have to be balanced and we have to throw the football. 
and Drew Auer could not throw the football. He could not beat Ole Miss. They were averaging 7.5 and 6.6 yards a carry with backs and decided to throw on critical downs. Lane is one of the smartest play callers in college football because he doesn't do dumb stuff. He just finds mismatches and then stays with them, and that's what he did today. He was really dialed in uh, today. I mean, I'm sure you saw it on TV, but just you could see it from from my vantage point. I mean, he was was as – excited and geeked up about calls and that kind of thing and kind of everything worked and if you had told me first second series that everything was going to work i'm not sure i would have believed you because Ole miss's offensive front was struggling um with penn state's defensive front and then jackson rolled his ankle and um there was one play where lane got upset at the official and i was like they late hit him or something, and I watched the replay. It was, no, he, he didn't even make contact with him. His ankle just gave out. And and they got him to the sideline and retaped it again and added tape. And for them to to be dealing with all of that um, and, and dial up the plays that they dialed up, whoever dialed them up, whatever, um, it was it was a clinic. It was I mean, it was an it, it was it was artistic. Uh, they did some stuff where. There were two, and again, this is a really good defense. The whole Penn State's not good, Big Ten's overrated, whatever. It, 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 no, they're really good. They they drew up some stuff that was just masterful, and the trick plays and the, the I mean, you know, Jordan Watkins really couldn't play because he tweaked his hamstring either on Tuesday or Friday, and they kept that quiet. But, you know, they had a trick play in place for Watkins and still slipped him out there and let him let him do it. And and it works, and they do the the power run to Pegues, and 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 just some of the stuff that they accomplished was I've used the word so many times, but it was kind of a remarkable game. I mean, they to again to blow Penn State out in the third quarter the way that they did was just I didn't see that coming. I thought Ole Miss would win. I picked Ole Miss to win, but I didn't I didn't think they'd dominate them like that. That was not even a thirteen point game. That was that was a blowout, and everybody in the stands knew it. I mean. When it got to be thirty-eight to seventeen or whatever, their fans hit the bricks. They they knew, and they had a lot of people here too, and they were vocal. And um, it was just just that it was a it was a masterpiece. Fifty-five, forty-five crowd, Ole Miss. Yeah, I'm not good at that. And it's my first time to ever be in the building. That, that that's probably about right. Both both schools were really well represented. They didn't do anything to hurt their bowl uh, availabilities moving forward if they need to win a tiebreaker. Oh, no, hell no. No, I mean, I would think I would think today, not that, not that either school probably had to prove itself as a traveling school, but um, yeah. uh, any, any, I would think any bowl people looked around and went, yeah, I'll want one of those teams as long as they're winning, right? Yeah, I sure. Mean, it's, yeah, as, yeah, long yeah. As, as, as long as it means something. Because the Ole Miss people were here excited. Penn State people, they're pretty excited. And they travel, and it was fun. And I heard a few of them. I was out grabbing something to eat late last night, and um, I heard some of them saying, "You know, we thought we were coming to the South to, for warm weather." And yeah. I was like, "Well, if you'd asked anybody who lived in the South, we would have told you that late December is typically cold here too, champ." But, um, <laughs> but I get it, right? Um, but no, they had a lot of people here. I mean, Ole Miss. I mean, obviously, Ole Miss was the louder team because they had probably a few more fans or a lot more fans, and then they won the game. But it was, but Ole Miss people were excited. I mean, 
Y'all would have a better gauge on that than I would. I mean, Brian certainly would. I mean, Brian's kind of out in the, amongst them. I'm really not. So I don't I don't really know about all that part. But there were there are tons of people here. I think I told you that the other night. Um, I went over to visit a friend who's um, – he's a big Ole Miss guy, and he married a Rustin girl who's become an Ole Miss person, and they have a daughter at Ole Miss. And so I went over and, and um, had a beer with them, and they were at the Ole Miss team hotel. And – this was Thursday, and by then there were a lot of people spilling into town. You know, we talk a lot about 2015, the athletic as Laramie was when he kind of went and got the ball that Chad threw for that touchdown. Pagese made one hell of an athletic play on that fumbled snap to pick it up and keep momentum yeah. moving right there. Like he, he, he's a big guy, but JJ's pretty damn athletic. That wasn't that wasn't nothing to grab that ball right there on that fourth and one. He had fielded a lot of bad snaps earlier in his life, and yeah. his his career with fielding bad snaps at Oxford High School paid off uh, handsomely in that moment. I, you know, I kind of thought that was, and I wrote about it in my notebook a little bit, and I'm going to write more in a little bit. By the way, I'm not I'm not through, but um, I, I wrote about it in my notebook that I thought it was sort of telling that Lane Kiffin had a couple of fourth downs in his own territory and went for it. Um, James Franklin down a couple of scores, mm-hmm. fourth and one punts. Yeah. And I thought, what are you doing? I mean, an L is an L is an L is an L. I mean, does it matter if it's 27 as opposed to 13? It's just an L. And it wasn't Go. a three-to-three three game. Ole Miss had gotten momentum. They were moving on you. You were having yeah. a hard time guarding those wide receivers at that point. It was and what it was. Point, and at that point, Ole Miss had not proven that they were going to definitely shut down a running play. I mean, I, I – it just tells you a little something about maybe this era of, of, of coaching and that kind of thing. You, you cannot be afraid. And I think it's one of Lane's strengths is that he does not get ruffled by criticism, whether yeah. it's valid or not. Frankly, if it's valid criticism, you don't even get a chance to distribute it because he'll criticize himself. And if it's invalid, he, he just – I think he makes mental notes about it, but he doesn't let it stop him from doing, from being him. And I think you saw that with Franklin. You know, he was like, well, if I go for it here and I don't get it and I give them a short field, they're going to score real quick and people are going to ask me questions about it. Well, what damn difference would it have made? I, I just mm-hmm. thought that was a, not, I just thought it was an interesting moment in the game, not pivotal because I think the game was decided by then, but I thought it was interesting. And if I were on the Penn State bench, I'd have been like, Coach doesn't think we can get a yard. Mm-hmm. So what makes me think he thinks we can score 17 unanswered points? It's been a full circle deal. We've talked about this every week, but I'm just mentioning it because it's worth mentioning. Jackson rolls up that ankle right there. He's hobbled. He's still running the ball in the damn fourth quarter. I mean, you basically have to kill him to get him out of the damn game at that point. I thought yeah. he was really good throwing the football. His deep ball was as good as it's been all season at times, even on the bomb leg. I mean, I started the show kind of telling Jeffrey, there was nothing about the performance this year or today that tells me that Jackson Dart can't compete for a national championship as your quarterback at the college level. Absolutely. I mean, he just wins games. That's why I wrote the column that I wrote earlier in the week. I mean, I, I, don't, I, I don't think if you're Ole Miss, you have any choice. I mean, you've got to do whatever you have to do to keep him. And um, imagine the Penn State team with an elite quarterback. You know, I mean, it's – Look, watch some of these bowl games if you can stomach them. I mean, the teams that don't have quarterback play—it's a man. It's tough, and the teams that do have quarterback play—they're—they're 
pretty much playing for stuff. That's what Jeffrey and, said. He thought that what was interesting was that Ohio State and Penn State, 1-22, through 22, probably looked more athletic, but the SEC teams just had such a quarterback advantage that that's what led to the wins in a lot of ways. Yeah, he said that to me in a text, too, and I I didn't watch a ton of Missouri-Ohio State, but but Ohio State has athletes. They just didn't have quarterback play, and then their quarterback hit the portal, and the guys behind them, including the guy that shook up the Ole Miss beat at one point a couple of years ago, um, you know, they – they didn't. They couldn't move the football, and Missouri had, at worst, adequate quarterback play all season. And at times, he was. I thought Cook was pretty good, and so that was a big reason they went eleven and two. Also, Missouri will have some perception issues just on how bad Ohio State was with that quarterback, to where it felt like it didn't count in a way. You know what I mean? Like going into the yeah. preseason, in some ways they're going to get kind of punished in a different way than. The way it looked today, if you will. Yeah, well, going uh, back to one of your question, one of your questions earlier, I think it's why, you know, late in the season, Missouri looked better than Ole Miss, and today I thought Ole Miss looked better than Missouri looked yesterday, and Penn State was a little, well, a lot more dialed in probably than Ohio State was. So, I don't know. I if, if I had a vote today, I'd probably put Ole Miss ahead of Missouri. Not that it matters. Again, six, seven, whatever. Yeah, but if I had a ballot, I'd probably put, I'd probably put Ole Miss a spot up. James Franklin probably would have known they were screwed today if you told him they were going to throw the ball forty times. They threw the ball forty times today. Yeah, he probably would have. I, I sensed from him the last couple of days that he felt like his team was in for a rough day. Oh, really? I, I, yeah, a little bit. And I kind of sensed in Kiffin on Friday there was some confidence there. I've, I think I've learned to sort of read some of Lane's answers and the the body language and the way that he kind of says some things. He, I think he, I think he felt like they were going to win some one on ones, and as long as people executed, that they they were going to score enough points to to get it done. I, I know he made a couple mistakes, but I thought athletically Dudley was pretty good out there. Yeah, he's. He's real athletic off the edge. Um, yeah. Gives them some length that they haven't really had. Kind of looks like an SEC outside linebacker in ways that maybe nobody else on that team does. Um, yeah, I mean, I thought he was good. He, he made he, he made a couple of, of errors, but it was the first football game he's played in a year, so I think we can all forgive him of those. But he, he did bring them some energy, and he was disruptive. They had to, they had to account for him. On some pass rushes, he he missed uh, Aller at one point, and, and Aller made him pay for it. I think ran for like twenty yards or something on a play. But um, yeah, he was good. I mean, look, he's the kind of athlete that they're going to add to this defense next season. They, it's really the job Pete Golding did this year with that group, and the job that that group did, sort of maximizing what they had and what they didn't have, was uh, was pretty amazing. Yeah, they're not littered with first round picks. It's not. No, 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 no. That's what the thing, you know, forget the opt-outs or whatever. It was that you look at Penn State, who had the same record and got pummeled today. They had a lot of NFL guys on that team. A lot of oh, NFL yeah, no. dudes on that roster. I mean. There'll be a whole a whole lot of NFL people will be at their pro day. I mean, that was a. They're, hey, they were good looking dudes, too. I mean, I, I, you know what I mean? I mean, like watching those guys come to the media stuff and when they walked away, like, there's some big guys on that team. Drew Aller's a big kid. 
Um, mm-hmm. the, the tight end that did nothing today, really, he's a big, good-looking – you see why the NFL likes him. Um, the offensive line is big. They're, they're, they're just a big team. They're good. I mean, I, I, I'm sure there will be a lot of revisionist history on Penn State. And I disagree with it. I, I think they're really solid. Um, I know you said that they kind of disregarded it. What exactly did Dart and Judkins say? They would make a decision in the coming days or what? What was the call there? Uh, I'm trying to remember the exact words. Uh, Quinshawn just said, hey, I'm, I'm, I haven't really had a chance to think about it, which, come on, but okay. Um, and then Jackson's was, I'm going to enjoy this tonight. And, um, you know, I'll, I'll get to that when, when the time is right or something along those lines. I don't remember exactly. I'll have it. I will write it tonight before I finish up. Um you got to think they're coming back. I mean, look, Jackson has all the leverage in the world. He's got more leverage today than he had yesterday even. And he had a ton yesterday. So, and then, you know, Quinshawn's a hell of a back. And I'm sure that if you're all in, you're all in. The one thing you saw today was that if they, for them to win a title, right? If we're going to talk about winning a national title, they do have to get significantly better up front. That no you. Doubt. You just on, on offense. You just can't be that porous and that vulnerable up front and make a playoff and then win three playoff games or even four play. I just that, no. You you got to get better than that. To no, Penn come State showed them what you have to be up front on both sides. Yeah, yeah. I mean, because look, if you're going to play in this building or in a building like this one in 367 days in a national quarterfinal. You, you will have to be better up front than they are. But if they're better up front, there's no reason that Ole Miss can't be a national title contender because they're going to be significantly better on defense. Yes, uh, Ken, you're right. Jared Ivey is a uh, really good dude on and off the field. There's no doubt about that. He's just, oh, yeah, just every, a good guy. Probably, probably he and Jackson are probably the two favorite guys for media just gotten over here lately he's just super guarded with what he says and i'm sure there's a lot going on there and, and all that um but yeah everybody everybody on the beat loves jared he's he's you probably if you told us you can you guys can talk to one person this week it'd probably be him so last thing we kind of close it up 11 and 2 here uh to uh finish this thing off just kind of remarkable and again it'll be it's going to be kind of like the NFL for us, a little bit from coverage standpoint. It's going to be kind of 365 of football in a way heading into uh, next season. They clearly have to get better on the offensive line. There's still two more portal periods. They have to avoid any retention issues with their current players in the portal. That thing opens up uh, here in a few days for about a week or so, right? Something like that. So you've got to get in the portal. No, you got to get in by the, by the second. Never mind. It, it's second. open now. And you have to be in by the end of January second. Sorry, that's, that's yeah. There's a there, there's a visit period that opens up January third through the seventh for people who will be enrolling in the spring semester. Correct. And then then it will close for a while, and then it'll open again on May the first through the fifteenth, I think. And then, just as we had said earlier, the way the court rulings are currently established. A player who gets in prior to January the second ending can transfer this season without penalty, regardless of how many times they have previously transferred. That's the way I understand it as well. Yeah. As of now, that is where it sits. 
we'll go from there. But that's that's what we know as of this point with uh, that situation. But um, I don't know. I mean, I've asked you everything I knew I knew to ask. But just final thoughts. Anything we missed? Season, day, game in general. I'm sure you did this, but um, I want to thank. It's expensive, and I needed. I, I'm glad okay. that I had hey, the help. Neil, to, you had to a do quick it. breakup right there. Hey, real quick. To have what I thought was at least decent coverage from a really big week for uh, for Ole Miss football, and um, that's probably my my biggest thing. I want to make sure I said that because I really appreciate those guys. Uh, Southern and uh, Comer on that. Did yeah, I lose you? No, you uh, you got me. I was filling in a blank. You had broken up for just a second, but then you came back. So I was making sure we knew what we were talking about there. So Neil was uh, thanking Eric Payne and all the guys at Comer and Southern for their help and their uh, partnership with us this season for the bowl trip. As he was saying, it's expensive, and they uh, have been a great partner to us for a, a long time. With that, they are they are outstanding. And we appreciate them for uh, business purposes and friendship purposes as well there with uh, Comer and Southern and all that they have uh, have done for us at this uh, at this juncture as uh, as well. So you got more coverage coming, I assume. And then uh, you're headed back in the morning. I assume you're staying tonight. You're not usually a drive back late kind of guy. Yeah, no, I've got I've got another couple of hours of work. Um, I'm going to get some all the video and stuff from the Peach Bowl. I do want to say. Let me say it because I want to go on record as saying it. There's, there might be a couple of bowls that are as good as this one is to media, and I, when I say to media, I don't mean like giving us stuff. I'm talking about understanding what we do and m- making it uh, efficient. They're amazing. These guys are awesome. Um, Gary Stoken and Matt Garvey and their whole staff. Um, the the people that do the transcriptions, I mean, I thank them personally because, God, that's they saves us hours. Mm-hmm. The video, uh, the website, the ability to download and, and upload and all of the stuff that they do, the hotel. Um, they're just amazing, man. I mean, I mean it, they're, they're an incre- it's an incredible bowl. And, I, that, you know, they more importantly, and people care about this a lot more than how they treat us, uh, the way they take care of the teams – the players, um, it's first class. It's a first class deal. It really is. It's, it's literally. I if I tried to come up with a complaint, I don't think I could come up with one. Literally nothing. Everything from in the morning when I, I mean I walked into the the big media um, hospitality thing, and the guy could tell that I just stumbled out of bed basically, and. He's like, the good coffee's back there. And I was like, oh, what do you mean? He goes, the strong coffee. I was like, oh, thank you. And I went, I mean, like, just everything. They, uh, they, 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 some of these people, like, the, some of the staff and stuff know my name now. I mean, I've been here since Tuesday early afternoon, but I know, I know nobody in the thread cares. I just want to say it for the record. The Peach Bowl's awesome. They're just fantastic. You know, I was I, I maybe I told Brian or Jeffrey this. We went into this season thinking eight and four, seven and five, nine and three. It's fairly remarkable on what ended up being what we what started out as not a throwaway year, but a year to get to the next year. 
and they did that, but in a totally different way than we kind of had anticipated or expected. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll wide open 100% admit that I would never have believed 11 and 2 while watching, yeah. watching uh, preseason camp. No way. Wouldn't have seen it. I think this team maximized. I think it literally reached its ceiling, maybe broke through its ceiling. Um, it was not a national championship team. Wayne will tell you that. Anybody in that building will tell you that. But I think they saw what you had to do. If we're back in this building or a building like this one in 367 days, the game in Athens will be the reason why. Because it, it was such that it took away any ability to trick yourself. It was, nope, that if we want, if we want to do this, and he does, this is what we have to do. And, um, and yet, with those limitations to still win 11 games, to beat LSU, to, to beat Penn State, to beat Tulane in New Orleans, to, to run the table at home, um, all of the things that they did, it's, 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 it's a remarkable accomplishment. I mean, I, I really almost felt intimidated writing the column um, today because I knew it needed to hit the right chords and, and because this was such a season where they just maximized. And you don't see that very often. Usually at the end of the year, for anybody short of the national champion, you're like, you know, they'd only done this or this or this. I don't think you can do that with Ole Miss. Yeah. I don't think they were as good as Alabama. I thought Alabama leaned on them in the second half. And then they clearly were not as good as Georgia. They weren't ready for that moment. They didn't have the athletes to win that game on defense. And they're working on it. And it's changing. And, I mean, Lane did – one of the things he did say was there's a few guys left that they're working on, and maybe this will push them over the top. Um, they, they've set their – there will be no uh, – there will be no Houston nut cowering from – the high expectations. I'm not saying that they won't underachieve. We'll, we'll see, right? Who knows? You got to win on the field, but they won't run from the, uh, the expectations that you should be a title contender next season. Yeah. Because, you know, last thing on that and last thing period is you, you know, Penn state was really good up front on both sides, but could the way the rest of the game went, you could have tricked yourself. Had that been the game, you go, ah, right, well, whatever. We still won. We blew them out. Yep. It yep. wasn't that, hey, no, we have a line problem. We have to fix the line problem. They have to look yep. different, and then we go. You convince yourself you coach around it. And, yep. yeah, Georgia didn't allow yep. that in any way whatsoever. So Yeah, I mean, you know, you can convince yourself on that Alabama game. Oh, if we'd just been healthier, if we just had Harris, if if, yeah. if, 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 if a call had gone a different way, maybe it would have – no. No, they're better than you. They were better than you up front. And, 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 uh, and, and you had to acknowledge it and then – so it was, a, it was a good thing for them that Georgia happened, the way that Georgia happened. It, it made it where, nope, got to attack this head on. Got to, got to acknowledge it, and they're doing it. They have. Um, they're, the team next season will be better than the team this season. doesn't mean it'll have a better record or it'll achieve the same thing because one thing that uh, Trey Harris said, and it, it, was, it, was, it was important, you know, this team didn't have a lot of ego. This team had a lot of buy-in. There was very little off-field stuff, mm-hmm. very little mm-hmm. locker room issue. Um, you're bringing in a lot of people from other places, and so you got to get that same degree of buy-in. You got to have the same kind of culture, the same kind of lack of ego, if you're gonna if you're gonna pull it off. Yeah, 
more coverage coming at Rebel Grove. Enjoy it. Be safe tomorrow, and we'll uh, we'll talk. Okay. That was Neil McCready joining us there from Mercedes-Benz Stadium in uh, Atlanta for that. Let me get that box off there. Sorry about that. Ole Miss 38, Penn State 25. The Rebels go 11-2 and on the season, the first 11-2 and year in or sorry, first eleven win season in program history. They've only won ten regular season games twice. They've done that both times in the last three years. Obviously, they've only been playing twelve regular season games for a short period of time as well. But uh, that's irrelevant. Ole Miss certainly on the uh, trend upward right now. Neil, thanking people. Want to thank Dead Soxy again. Remember, go to Dead Soxy, pick up your socks. No shows are great. The dress socks are great. You get a uh, subscription, and when you do that, you get a free pair of Juice Kiffin socks that are right there on the screen. If you're watching this on YouTube, you see it there. Take advantage of that from Dead Socks. They've been a great partner for two years. We really appreciate them for being our title sponsor, and they do make a great product there with Dead Socksy. And then just kind of last thing, thanks to you guys. You've been with us every day. You've been with us for a decade in a lot of ways. Uh, it's a great time to be covering Ole Miss. I know it's a great time for you guys to be a fan of Ole Miss and you show up, you do all of our crazy stuff we ask of you, you give us your time and your uh, you know, your schedule, depending on what it is, you you make it work for us. We really appreciate this. Couldn't do it without you. I, I, I really mean that. Uh, we're through the holiday season and you guys mean the world to me on uh, what it means to uh, have you guys as a community and follow uh, us every single day. So Neil will be back tomorrow. We'll have a normal podcast uh, on Tuesday. We'll be what we do there, obviously not on New Year's Day, but we'll have a podcast Tuesday. Some cool stuff coming next week, actually, that we've got scheduled up for that, and we'll continue talking about it. I mean, it doesn't stop now. It'll be Portal, and then we'll be already looking ahead to next season. Ole Miss also has an undefeated basketball team. They play tomorrow against Bryant, and then we'll have an SEC hoop season as well. So a lot of crazy stuff, a lot of good stuff going on and then a full offseason of Ole Miss football. A lot of anticipation heading into Ole Miss and Furman from Vaught-Hemingway Stadium, a place Ole Miss has won 20 of their last 22, and they are trying to make a playoff next season. Ole Miss wins the Peach Bowl, the Chick-fil-A Peach Bowl, over the Penn State Nittany Lions in this SEC Big Ten game, 38-25 to in this one. So, again, thanks to you guys. Thanks to Neil, Brian, and Jeffrey for making it a uh, great post-game show. Plenty of coverage at rebelgrove.com and on our MPW Digital channel. And we will talk to you again very soon. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger, For the ones who get it done.